Good morning, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs. Yep, it's actually 5.27 by my PC's clock, and we are here with Warrior Death Show's second stream back for spring 2020, but we're having a bit of an unusual episode this time around. We're having our two anime enter, one anime leaves, uh, you know, premiere here, where because people are indecisive, looking at you, listener, whoever this may be, even if you're not necessarily a patron of ours, uh, we... The way we decide how to watch, uh, or what we're rather going to watch for a second stream, uh, it's up to our wonderful patrons. And it was a tie. It wasn't a tie through Vorgelia's machinations this time <laughs> around. I will never forget that. You know, where she voted three times somehow. Good good grief, honestly. Uh, so we have two shows that we will cover today, and at the end of this uh, discussion, we'll decide which one we're going to take forward to cover for the remainder of the spring season. But, you know... First off, we need to get some instructions out of the way. I'm Shaden, and joining me as always from across the pond, but close to my heart, is the Subtle Doctor. Hello, everyone. It is actually evening here where I am, so I'll just say good evening, uh, since you didn't get it from, from Shady. I hope everyone is being well. I hope everyone is coping, and I am ready to talk about some more anime and then fight about it. <laughs> I have a funny feeling like I'm going to bet ahead of time you and I actually will agree pretty quickly on which one we want to cover going forward uh, but that's maybe a little spoilery so I'll say no more than that shh, shh, shh. oh dear oh dear so, so, don't reveal it yet we gotta <laughs> string them along for a while the listeners well you, you could still throw a curveball I mean we haven't actually discussed ahead of time which one we do want to that's true, cover going that's forward. true. You're we're, right. we're gonna literally decide this uh, live on air quote unquote so we'll see how that goes but anyway um if you're joining us because you may not have um, been a patron of ours prior to uh last season when we were covering Jula Richard or maybe you're coming to us for, you know from the public you know catching this when it goes free to air uh, our second stream format is a bit different than the one we usually do for our main live stream format, which we're currently doing for listeners. Uh, and last time we did for Keep Your Hands Up, Face Oaken. Uh, in that particular format, we discuss the plot, make a couple of riffs and jokes and comments as we go along, and then we do talking points. So we get into the real meat of discussion. But second stream is entirely the main course. There is no starter, so there is no entree, so to speak. So we're going to go through both uh, first episodes of the shows, which are Kakushi Goto and uh, Sing For Me Yesterday, or I think it's Yesterday No Uwate. I can't pronounce that for... I mean, it's for our we, five we can go with the English. We can go with the English title. I'm, I'll, I'm I'll, I'll just go with Yesterday. For just for simplicity's sake, because no doubt as you know, time goes on, the fact it's half five in the morning, my speech is going to get even more slurred than it usually does. And that's not because I've been drinking, by the way. That's the one time I can say that with absolute certainty. <laughs> so yeah, we'll be doing talking points specifically on both shows separately, um, and then we'll be deciding at the end which one we want to carry forward. Uh, the first of which, then, we will start with is Kagushi Goto. And I'm going to open up the floor to Doc firstly to talk about this, because I have a feeling that, like, if you know anything about us personally, like I'm not a dad, uh, but Doc is. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't steal his kids from anywhere. He like he had them the normal way, you know. He didn't like you know pick them up at the mart or anything. Um, the store the delivered about... them to me. You was, know. Did, was that via Amazon Prime next day? Uh, indeed. Well, you know what? I'm so old that this was before Amazon Prime existed. So this is this is pre-Prime Stork. So yeah, way back when. <laughs> 
<laughs> Very old school of you, Doc. But the thing about Kagushi Goto that I'll note right ahead of time is that I think that people have a very different reaction to it, for good or for bad, depending on if uh, you yourself are a parent. Uh, and that's not even necessarily if you're just a dad. I mean, if you're a mum as well, or even if you're adoptive. Uh, however, you, however that is, um, I think that you will feel very differently about Kagushi Goto episode one, or indeed the show in general, than someone like me who isn't a parent. Um, and that's not me saying, like, you know, that you'll feel differently about it because you'll feel always more positively or more negatively. It's just merely a statement of difference, I think. So having Doc's opinion first off on this one, I think is going to be the most interesting to have. So uh, by all means, Doc, take it away. Tell us about what you thought of Kagushi Goto. Well, before I do that, I just want to point something out by uh, and apologize. It, you may have had all of that noise <laughs> that was just on my end edited out by Shadon. But in case you haven't, um, due to the time of night we're recording, um, my uh, various pets are out and about. They're up. They will make appearances on the show. It's almost guaranteed. My dog, Abby, was... The little, little beagle was like climbing onto or trying to climb onto the kids' table. They have their own little eating table, and she's, she's for some reason, trying to grab a shell. There's like a seashell on it. And I don't know if she thinks there's like food in it. I don't know what the deal is with, but she's like just reaching for the seashell, and it just. I had to give her a different toy. To she get thinks her to she's stop. playing um, Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening. You know, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you have to exactly. So like, yeah, I don't know what was going on there, but but um, so uh, Kakushi Goto, uh. So I think the full title is a pun, isn't it? I think the word Kakushi Goto itself is a word that means, um, Secrets, I think that, I re- that re- yeah, like refers to like, um, like the joke of the show, right? Which is that, mm. uh, the dad who last name Goto, first name Kakushi, um, mm-hmm. like is a famous manga artist for drawing, what is it called again? Like balls of fury. <laughs> Balls of Fury. Yep, the Will Ferrell movie say, that never got made. <laughs> I was going to say a Balls Adventure, but no, it is Balls of Fury. In fact, wait, um, wasn't Balls of Fury actually one of those sport movies that followed uh, Dodgeball coming out um, in like 2000 and whatever it was? Because there you was had Dodgeball, which came out, and then there yeah. was like Talladega Nights and all like mm-hmm. Blades, Blades of, of Glory. Glory also. Yeah, I'm uh, sure Balls of was Fury a... was one of them. <laughs> that sounds like it could be like the, the Will Ferrell bowling movie. Um, oh man! Uh, but no, this is like a like a a f- silly uh, manga that is a bit uh, naughty. I think that that he, that he's doing that Goto is drawing, and mm-hmm. he's he's quite famous for it. Um, but he realizes uh, early on, and I know we're not doing summary, but just the, the briefest of setup here. Like he, yeah, we'll, he, we'll give context as necessary. Yeah. He realizes early on, like after he, like as he's in the hospital holding his newborn baby daughter and the nurses are like, Oh my God, you draw balls of fury, <laughs> which he signed my copy of balls of fury. <laughs> like, and he's just like, oh my god! I just. I'm glad they didn't use the shorthand for that. Would you sign my balls of fury? <laughs> exactly. Would you sign my balls of fury? Um, right here between these two. Yeah. Um. No. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so, like, he he is thinking. You know, I don't want my my daughter to know 
um, that this is what I do for a living. So for her entire life, I'm going to like take elaborate measures to keep it from her. Like I'm going to wear a suit uh, to as I leave the house to go to work. And then midway through work, I'm going to pop in somewhere and change into a t-shirt and shorts so I can go draw uh, my, that go, what was it? Gotoko or something that his office had on it. And he's got a mm. little, little office where he and his assistants draw this manga uh, and this is uh, based on the comic by the guy that did Sayonara Zetsubo Sensei, which is really a fun, it it sounds sort of dark, like when you d- talk about the premise of it, but it's actually kind of, um, it, it's a fun show, and uh, you can tell that the art is similar, or I could tell, um, and the th- thing that I like about the show more than anything is the visuals, like I think that they, oh, yeah. they really pop, Um the thing they reminded me of, like, more than anything, and it surprised me that it made me remember this, because um, I know I shouldn't really speak so ill of a Nishi Aisin work, and I know I probably mispronounced his name, but again, I'm using the the half five in the morning excuse here. I normally won't be able to use that, so I'm cashing in that chip every time I make a mistake on this particular episode. So look forward to that. Shadon. Uh, Shadon. My wife has just shown me. The movie poster for Balls of Fury starring Christopher I knew Walken. it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it was a thing. And uh, who is that opposite him? Shrug. Um, yeah, I don't know who that is, but uh, it appears to be like a martial arts spoof. Ping pong. It's a that ping pong it. movie. Okay, and then he's like the grandmaster of ping pong. That's why he's wearing that sort of pseudo like racially problematic stereotypical questionable outfit <laughs> okay oh man like, oh my i feel like i feel like we could do a whole podcast in of itself on the history of like comedy sports movies, comedy maybe sports that's... we should just do a comedy sports movie podcast. and they were really like they were at that time in american yeah. comedy where like people were like sort of feeling good about themselves for like not being we're like i don't think we're that racist anymore but they really sort of still was pretty problematic so yeah some of ripson's lines from dodgeball have not <laughs> aged very well no that's a discussion for a different day <laughs> oh uh, my god i knew oh. i knew i knew that, that was the thing um so yeah like the thing that this reminded me of in terms of art style more than anything and this surprised me was uh katana Gatari. Uh, the you know, oh yeah 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 the the Isins are like you know uh, really enjoyable up until the final episode uh, sword collecting story, um, which man, I still have not I still have not seen that. That's a discussion I need to have sometime because I remember watching that and I got to the final episode and it was like watching a car crash in real time. And yet because it's Nisa Isin, I genuinely can't say that it was by accident. You know, it's a feature, not a book, so to speak. So mm. that's a thing for another time, though, because you've not seen it. And obviously we need to discuss uh, Kyushu. But yeah, this was a very, very visually striking uh, show. Um, and I really, really like the look of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that plays also into some of its ideas about imagination, uh, particularly in part of the kids that we see um, in the second half, including uh, Hime's friends, uh, Hime being uh, Goto's daughter. Uh, but yeah, it definitely was one of the show's strengths, I would argue. Yeah, the color palette was really nice, and there's almost there's on certain shots there was like a three dimensionality to the characters and their faces that I just I, I found really it was really appealing to look yeah. at and bright. And- when um 
when Goto's uh, having to draw on the shirt to hide the fact that it is a <laughs> uh, shirt of a, of a character from one of his own manga, um, which I don't even know why he's doing that, because how Hime would recognize that all. But then again, that may very well be the point, as I'll get to soon. Um, but like when he's doing that, and it has the switch between him, like you know, drawing the manga uh, with the move, like the shot of his hand moving in in very slow motion, like that was great. <laughs> I, like it I was. was panning back and forth between like him and present time versus him, like you know, I've been drawing for ten years, I'm ready for this, and he. Well, I think that I think that'd be like his, uh, you know, level one limit break basically, because we're all in on the Final Fantasy references at the moment. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um. That that was fun, uh, and it's. I think like the um, the high production values are like necessary is not the right word, but like they're they're able to keep up with the like fast pace of the comedy because there's a lot of things happening very quickly. There's a lot of transitions between different scenes. There's a lot of running around and kind of uh, like just uh it's all happening very quickly and the the, uh production is able to keep up and look nice while doing it it also has this really neat effect where like certain scenes there's uh there's like a a framing that's used like with these uh, these like lines these crisscross is it like a Mm. what do you what are what is that shape i don't even know it looks like something from like a yoshi game (laughs) <laughs> just that are appearing in the corners and it's just really but it's really nice it's really like there's something soothing about it like ah this is a this is a comforting little shot here that they're that that they're doing because they're framing it this way yeah um, this anime in general is very cozy um it's a nice it's one of those blanket anime you know like comfort blanket ones where you know you, you, there are ideas behind it and i'm certainly gonna get to those soon enough but you know it's fun uh it's pleasant to look at and it's quite charming in certain respects with some of the interactions between uh, Goso and Hime in particular. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I feel you on that. I think the art style definitely accentuates that. Did you enjoy, as much as I did, the like the kids' detective show OP that they just did that really was, fast? That was, such a <laughs> neat, that was such a neat insert. I really, really liked that. It yeah. was so good. Just like they all kind of got their little... Uh, shot with the the stop and then they got their own color and their title card mm-hmm. that was so good I, I really enjoyed that and i it's probably the sort the most um unmixed my feelings were about the content of the show was this bit when all the girls go into this store that they don't know that it's a starbucks and mm-hmm. but they have been told that bookstores without manga for sale in them are like the home of monsters um fancy peeps fancy, no <laughs> fancy peeps which um, to me sounds like it sounds like an enemy from that uh, old uh, mr fancy pants flash game i'm actually fairly confident it is come to think of it um <laughs> Wow, uh, th- those those games are great, by the way. Shouts to Mister Fancy Pants. I have to, I have to take a look at those. But, but so yeah, the the girls have been told in sort of a bid to keep them again to, to keep Hime away from her father's uh, job. They've been told that like monsters are in these bookstores. So, but they need to go in this bookstore because 
this person that they're looking for, they've, they've formed a detective club so that they can find this mysterious guy who saved the, the kitty with the life preserver. And it actually is Goto-san, and he's running the Starbucks to get away from them because he, he doesn't want to be seen by them. So they go yeah. in there, they're like... Oh, the, but the monsters are in here. But we have to be brave and do it. And like, but everything that they're seeing is colored by their this childlike fear and their preconceptions. So the logo is like of a witch, but it's just the Starbucks lady. But they see it as like, oh my, it's this witch. And like, they hear the people ordering coffee and saying like, you know, double mocha frap latte. With and they're like, oh, they're just chanting this magic evil language this forbidden dark, tongue dark, dark, dark. but like it's a starbucks where's the lie <laughs> i know I, you know right what? how I, are they wrong how are they wrong and um, there's two things i want to note now that you've actually brought up the starbucks scene that i found really really cool about this episode um the first of which is something that ties into an overall idea i think the show started to develop and i figured would come about given the nature of this material, um, which is that Hime notes that, no, this is really is just a Starbucks. Like, she's yes. just as, She's the same age as everyone else in that little group, but she's not prey to, like, letting her imagination overrun, you know, the fact that, no, it really just is a Starbucks. It's just... But they they won't that. let her say the full word <clears throat> due to copyright. <laughs> they always cut well, her they, off. Isn't this they a got Star- Yakult <laughs> in this one, though. But then again, like, Yakult is a Japanese brand, so I can understand mm, them getting that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other one, and this I thought was really funny and also, like, <laughs> I love the implication behind it, is that one of the kids actually throws a copy out of, of Balls of Fury <laughs> at Goto, uh, thinking him to be the monster, like, you know, rather than the yeah. hero that he uh, who saved the cat. So there's something I think very cogent about a gentleman who is trying to hide his, you know, profession in drawing uh, rude manga. Uh, being hit literally in the face with it despite his best efforts. I thought there was something really, really neat about that comedic moment that made it more meaningful than simply just being funny, that, like, somehow his efforts to hide that are actually exacerbating, like, the fact they're being brought about in the public eye more and more. Um, Mm. That, I thought, was quite neat. Uh, And it's in sharp contrast to the episode's worst moment, which I will get to in a little while. Uh, if you've seen the episode, you probably have a very strong idea of. Where I knew it is, you would I... hate that. Like, you know, I do. You know, you know the. No, actually, I'll get into it now, and I'll tell okay. you why. All right, all I'll right. tell you why. Because it's it's one of those moments where I thought to myself, with just a little tweaking, they could still have it in basically as is, and it would actually serve a purpose and gel with the rest of the ideas that the episode has, particularly in relation to the detective club's like over imagination. Yeah. Um, and the moment basically is this, right? Um, to give you context, what Goto does is that he leaves home every morning uh, dressed in a sharp suit. He looks like a salary man. He's trying to present an image to his daughter uh, to keep up appearances he's and hide wholesome. the fact that he's... He, yeah, he's a, he's a regular <laughs> yeah, dude, you know? Yeah. He, he goes you to know, a, he's a businessman who goes to a business job in an office. Yeah. Nothing weird he's, he's, going on. He's Edward Norton's character from Fight Club in the opening 10 minutes. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. Um, but what he does is he visits a local clothing store um, and he changes there um, into his regular, like, you know, schlubby manga car outfit. Uh, I think that's like, you know, standard dress for all manga cars, to be quite honest. You know, you've got business casual and manga car casual, I think. So he's getting to manga car casual rather than, you know, business formal. At least his uh, assistants now this... wear collared shirts, or one of them does. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. dude is just wearing, like, gym sh- Is he wearing, no, maybe not gym shorts, but shorts. He gets to wear that shorts. Seems to he, work. That assumes he's ever been to a gym. I'm not so sure on that. <laughs> That's a, you know what? Fair play. <laughs> so this store is run by, I believe, a trans lady. Now, I could be wrong. It could simply just be a man who cross-dresses. I don't we know. We don't know mm-hmm. the, the episodes say that. Um, but the optics of what follows later in this episode are... Man, I don't know if it's because it's like, again, really early in the morning here and I've not, you know, come back from work and therefore feeling rather bitter about everything and therefore (laughs) and maybe I'm struggling to muster up the necessary vitriol here. But what happens is that the kids uh, run into the store, like they find the store and the lady's there and they think that uh, she's a fancy peeps, uh, which is like this monster. Well, they're Um, they're fleeing from another fancy peep. Uh, yep, Goto. They've run out of there, and so their imagination is in high gear. And I think we should note before you get into what you think the problem is that our problem is, um, and I think I can speak for you, but like, please, um, correct me if I'm wrong here. Is no, not, you can't. Um, <laughs> no, I can't. no. I can't. um, is not the the presentation of this person in general. Um, because when Goto stops by the store a couple different times, we see this person and, you know, they're just hanging out, doing stuff, um, running their clothes store. One of the other assistants is shopping there. Um, but like the, it's our, the issue you have, I don't think, and I certainly don't have an issue with this is the way that they're presented. Um, because, you know, it's not like we're saying this person can't pass as a woman so we, oh, ha- we think no, that there's some no, kind no, of no, issue no. like it's not i don't think we're being like it, w- just wanted to let like put that out there that we're that is not the problem um me- people are like you know some people present that way and that is the way that they want to present themselves oh and no, they're comfortable no no with no that, yeah, and that's totally good you're absolutely correct in that assertion, Doc. No, I'll get to the core of it here, right? What happens is that when they get to the shop and they spot her, she starts chasing after them. Um, I don't know why this happens. What did uh, they do I... exactly? I don't remember. Nothing. <laughs> they, they just take literally... her. Did they take their manga? Like, I, was that the? I, I don't know. I have no. I have no idea. But. Uh, Riddle me this, uh, would-be listener. You know, when you've got a trans lady chasing uh, four young children down the street in a very exaggerated fashion, what does that say to you? What is that meant? What is the message behind that? What is the show trying to do with that? It's meant to ostensibly be funny. But, I mean, you've heard me talk about Kabuki Show Sherlock here, and uh, the last thing I ever want is to have memories evokes of that, which I did here. I was like you know, they've gone, like, you know, their imagination is that this person is scary, so why is the show literally playing into that by having them chase them down the street? I know. Is is and, there supposed to be some implication, like, well, of course they'd be scared of this person. 
I mean, just yeah, look at like they it. Are, I mean, like that's they are actually yeah. they are actually doing the thing. They are actually doing the thing, you know, uh, the scary thing. Whereas that doesn't happen with any of the other flights of imagination they have, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which I was very perplexed by. I didn't find it funny. It's the same kind of thing I've said before, and this was even something I brought up on the most recent listeners cast, which is that it's also very lazy uh, to use this kind of humor, like transphobic humor in general, like. I mean, don't get me wrong, I must restate, transphobic humor is bad because it is transphobic, you know, it is it is what it is. But it also speaks to the, like, lack of due diligence on the part of the writers to actually try and put some effort into their comedy. Yeah. But the thing that bothers me the most about this is that this could have all been resolved and they could have kept it mostly as is with one simple change. And I'll describe it to you, Doc, right? Let's imagine that they left the scene in of the lady chasing him down the street. But then we have a cut to a scene where she has not actually moved at all and is genuinely confused by them running away. That would, Do you know how uh, that... that would work fine, I think. Yeah, that would work fine because, you know, I'm not saying that you can't display transphobia in a show. I mean, also, while it does, it's not acceptable, it is certainly understandable that kids might have that viewpoint because they don't know any better that, at that yeah, time. Yeah, sure. Like, at any, like, anything that strikes them as is particularly different from what they're used to might be scary, right? So, yeah. sure. And it also would then gel with the rest of the episode where they're completely at odds with reality with their flights of fantasy, you know? Mm-hmm. It all is works seamlessly and allows them to keep it pretty much as is without you know, really, in my view, at least, I could be wrong on this, and please do feel free to correct me if it doesn't actually solve the core problem here. Uh, it would, at least to me, like, you know, not be offensive in that way, because it would show that the kids were in the wrong, you know? Yeah, or j- just, like, I don't know, have, like, uh, the the have them kick up a breeze as they run by, and, like, like a shirt or something, like a piece of clothing come on, fly onto the person's face, the owner's face, um, or some kind of like paint or mud or something splash on them, and then they just look ridiculous, and it has nothing to do with their gender presentation. It's just like, oh, this is a ridiculous looking person. They've got like a weird like pants accidentally on their head, and like their head is covered in paint or mud. They look like a a, a monster. What a kid five year old might think is a monster. There you go. There's another way you could, but that would take extra, extra frames, extra animation, extra thought. So it's, I guess, it's not a simple solution, but I think it will yeah. be more acceptable. <clears throat> I, I certainly would have gone straight for simply just having the kids flat out and just be in the wrong, um, because the kids, you know, that's that's understandable, and indeed that's would it also tie to the major talking point I'll have in a moment. Like everything I'm suggesting here would make the show better. But they did bother, like, this... And I was just like, oh, for God's sake. Every time I see this shit, I just get so tired of it immediately. And it's in the first episode as well. And the funny thing is, like, you know, the stuff I mentioned with the detective uh, club and also the, um, (coughs) you know, the manga literally in the face, like, that's legitimately good stuff. So it also confuses me, like, how you go from, you know, crafting your own humor and your own, like, you know, vision for a show and its own identity. And you're just like, no, I'm just... I'm just really tired. I'm just going to, you know, be lazy and just rely on some really, really crass and tasteless shit. God's sake, honestly. <laughs> I, I I like this episode overall, don't get me wrong. I think there's sure. a lot to enjoy about it, uh, particularly its presentation and certainly one other theme that I'll get into in a moment. But 
God, I, the more and more I see this stuff, the more and more less inclined I am to be tolerant of it because I'm just like, it's so easy to avoid. Like, not to big myself up too much here, but it took me all of two minutes to think of that alteration that I suggested that would have solved everything. And I, I understand, like, you know, it's outside looking and all that, but come on, guys, can we not up our game a little bit here? Apparently not. <laughs> no, that's too much to ask. Yeah, wah, wah. and it's, anyway, you know, I mean... It's understandable, I think, that we, you know, even before anything happened with this clothes shop owner character, like, we see them, and we get nervous, because we know the history of anime, with I was, the track record. Yeah, I was actually okay with the presentation of them up until that point, like, mm. you know, no, 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 the, no. Clark Kent, well, what the Clark I, Kent line in particular was very, no, it was very good. interesting. It was great. No, no, no. What I mean is not to say, like, um, again, I, as I stated earlier, like, the character in a vacuum is um, no problem, right? But like when you see this sort of person in an anime, what you you get a feeling in the pit of your stomach, they're going to be a butt of a joke. Yep. Is what I'm saying. That's what how I feel anyway. I get yeah, you're right. Nervous, like oh, how are they going to fuck this up, right? <laughs> you know exactly, exactly. All right, uh, so that's one of my talking points. Now, and that's only the big real criticism I have of the episode. <clears throat> but I do have other stuff I want to talk about. That said, I'm going to pass the baton back to you, Doc. Hmm. Well, my my point is pretty kind of overarching about the episode as a whole, so it might make more sense if you've got points that are to deal with specific pieces of it. To get uh, them... yeah, I do. Um, okay. Well, I you, suppose. You go first. I suppose. I suppose I'll get into the thing that I like the most, which I think, I mean, you and I, when we were like considering watching this, like and putting it on the list, um, I think off cast, you and I had some consternation about how this particular concept was going to be executed because it's like in, with all fiction, really, you know, there's no concept in my opinion that's necessarily inviolate, but what you can actually do with it and the limitations that you impose on yourself in tackling such a subject matter, uh, they get more narrow depending on, you know, the content itself like let's say for example you're writing something about nazis now are you going to write a show or, or a story that is positive about nazis odds are well you can't physically be stopped from doing so of course but the odds are good you will not find an audience for it unless of course you're talking well, about fascist and alt-right and all that but you know what i mean generally well. speaking in against the grain <laughs> of like you know taste and morality you'll find that certain subjects like you know put limits on what you can do with them that before they become uh, distasteful to regular people, you know, and not shitheads. Um, so what this has to do with Kagushiko, so you might wonder, well, think about it, right? The concept is basically uh, manga car father, uh, you know, by day he writes dirty manga, you know, basically hentai of some description. Or, is it even know, hentai? What, well, whatever, whatever categorization it falls on. Yeah, if I was, I, you know, I have to say, I was really worried that it was when read about like you know dirty i was like oh man it's gonna be it is gonna be hentai it's gonna be like erotic manga just you know sex 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 sexy doujin stuff but it, it seems just like a naughty comedy um that yes the, this, and this yeah. is and this is the point i'm getting to actually which is that like this concept's like you know of him trying to hide that from his daughter there are many different ways I think one could approach this, but uh, just because you, there are many ways doesn't make them all equal or equally desirable. Mm. Uh, as you said, Doc, and I think there was not an undue concern there, 
having it be the case where you know that it does lean too much into it being a naughty comedy uh, would have been to the show's detriment. But what I wanted to see, and I'm glad it actually did touch on in some ways, was the idea that and I'm speaking here not as a parent, by the way, so uh, I can only speculate on this point, but feel free, by the way, to interrupt me on this stuff because you are a parent. But like, I think that, you know, parents have an idea of what their kids are ready to know about versus what they are objectively, at least as far as objectively can go, actually ready to know about. Like, you know, a le- like a perception of the level of maturity of your kid versus um, how mature they actually are. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I think that the idea that the show is wrestling with here is that, and also, like, you know, is Goto going too far? How much can he legitimately tell he may about? Because, make no mistake, the subject matter of his work is definitely not something that you would uh, show to a kid of her age, I would argue. At least her age is shown at the for the majority of the episode, because it seems like we're doing some sort of medias res thing here, where it starts when she's 16 and discovers his, like, you know, manga collection in a warehouse, but then we go back in time to when she's younger, which that is was a bit very odd. confusing. I, I, my initial impression was I thought we were going to get it where she was going to start reading like his work and then like thinking backwards to try and understand him. I even thought he maybe he died. I don't know. Um, this oh, is a midly episode. Yeah. This is a midly episode one, so it's you know we'll find out. It will get that in due course. Um, but yeah, like I actually really liked how this episode drops certain hints to show that he may was far ahead of. Uh, like you know her age group in terms of her maturity um for example like how she has that discussion with her father about what it means to be important um and also um i forget the specific term it was the one for being jobless um yeah uh, which she mentions as being colorless but how he can color everything in that way the starbucks thing i mentioned like she's the only one who actually just sees it for what it is like that's not to say that she doesn't have any imagination, but rather she knows when to turn it off. You know, she knows when to just say, hey, actually, guys, this is really just a Starbucks and Starbucks are crap. Let's not go here. You know, I can get better coffee <laughs> elsewhere. Let's go to LeBlanc. I hear nothing strange happens there. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> um, and like, you know, um, I think that the, sh- the show does a very good job of showing that she's actually... Uh, much more mature and uh, and at least world intelligent, if you want to call that, than Goto might realize. And that's not to Goto's detriment, by the way. I That's why I'm saying that I think that dichotomy exists between how parents view their children versus what their children actually are and how they can sometimes surprise them. I mean, even down to simple things like, like her knowing what a CEO is, you know, um, but then, funnily enough, in that very same scene where she mentions that she learned that, that she found the term CEO from a late night show, uh, Gosa says you shouldn't really be up that late. It's like such a perfect little microcosm of the entire um, discrepancy, if you want to call it that, uh, and also the conflict that's at the show's core, which is that Hime clearly is very much ready to learn about certain things, but are there, is that she ready to learn about this particular thing? Because she's ahead of the curve, it seems. But... Does that make Goso wrong in trying to want to hide his profession and particularly the subject matter that his profession involves? Um, is you know it, this is the case that she's clearly ahead but not quite there yet? Um, I think that the show did a really nice job of having these little moments peppered throughout that suggested that, and I'd be curious to see if it develops it more going forward. And to tie this all back to what I said at the start about the idea of um, you know, how this particular concept of, you know, Mangaka hides his, like, filthy trash, like, you know, uh, from uh, from his daughter. Like, 
there are so many ways you could do it that I think would be in poor taste or just probably not even interesting yeah. or very funny. Yeah. And conversely, I also think that there would be ways of doing this that would be really too sober and depressing uh, <laughs> for it to for it to work. Like, you know, where I can see like, They're you know, crying. the guy's like... <laughs> he may just discover yeah. the manga and is crying. <laughs> that would be awful. It really would. Um, and... Lest I forget, by the way, is also that scene where Ghost himself imagines Timei's response, and she's got the baseball saying, "Well, you can talk to me through the manga," yeah, right? Which right. was just such a great bit. But it's also true, like that someone who has the imagination to be a mangaka, like, is it such a leap that he would then worry about his daughter's reaction and imagine such a thing like that? Um. So yeah, I think that the show has done a nice job of getting that on the table to start with, and I'd be curious to see it develops going forward because I do think that's an interesting idea about, you know, the development of children and how their parents may unwittingly restrain them completely innocently and by accident, um, because I think that that discrepancy between how, you know, how mature and able kids are versus how their parents see it can exist to varying degrees. Doesn't always necessarily the case. Sometimes parents are spot on. Um, yeah, I'm glad the show's tackling that subject and it's doing it appropriately, at least as far as I've seen so, so far. Uh, I do like... Um, so... This whole idea, right, of of him, it seems like the show the show is going to be built around him stressing out way too much about not wanting to tell her what he does. I mean, he's going to go to these really just Herculean lengths to hide his profession from her, and I can see how that might be kind of frustrating to some people because you might think, well, just don't worry about it for now, and then in a couple years, like you could talk to her. Um, and tell her what's up but you know you actually do I mean you worry about these things on a continual basis with your kid and like when is the right time to expose them to something or talk to them about a certain thing and like you were saying a lot of times they're ready before the parents think they are but still I mean that still the parents call and and something yes that is really important you know, in the parents' mind that they know, like, for, for comedy's sake, he, you know, Goto is really going to be worried about this. But I think, you know, the show in the first episode is already doing a good job at, like, pushing the character toward, like, this idea of rather than you, uh, Goto, having your anxious dad brain run away with itself based on what other people say and what your preconceptions are. If you just talk to your daughter, um, that makes everything, that's, that's a much more straightforward way and satisfying way to deal with these things. And you guys can like actually have nice moments together and actually kind of make headway in your father-daughter relationship because at a certain point in the show, uh, he may... Um, is trying to come up with like their class is doing like a wish for their parents. And she, based on something her classmate says, wishes her dad would get a promotion because she hears getting promotion is very important to men, very empowering. So she wants them to be important. And then Goto freaks hmm. out. He's like, Oh my God, what does this mean? I need to be important. Do I need to be famous? Do I need to be considered a mango as whole joke about a mango that was very odd <laughs> but like a super i guess important right i thought you i thought you'd have enjoyed that given how many times we've mentioned mango You're, on this oh. sure um, although we've uh, mentioned this uh, term of the fruit more than anything as a joke rather than it turning out to be the bungo equivalents oh. 
Um, and you know, he, he spends half the episode trying to kind of, um, work out a solution to a problem that he has come up with in his own brain that he has assumed was a problem with his daughter. And then at the end, they talk about it. And she says, oh, the only reason I said that is because I want you to be happy. He's like, oh, well, wow, well, I, yes, thank you. I actually am pretty happy, and I'm happiest when I'm with you. So hopefully this is kind of a, a like, encapsulation of what the show will move towards in a grander sense, and he will stop, uh, you know, being so kind of uh, hyper-focused on uh, elaborately hiding this huge part of his life. Um, yeah, but uh, so a part of the, your analysis, I, I slightly disagree with is I think the show plays fast and loose with how smart he may is. Mm. Um, I think like at times when it's convenient for the show, it will kind of portray her as a mature little girl. And then other times she'll be remarkably stupid. Um, mm. Like when she. You know, not noticing what was on the shirt, despite oh god, yeah, being that in the scene, room with, I... with the man with the new editor yeah, for hours. <laughs> I and then, like, I had forgotten about that. Oh, I'm because... gonna get you a tea. Wait, are you a mom? Because you're holding your nipple. Like what? I mean, I, I'm. Sure, I know yeah. it was played for comedy. Like I understand that, but it does not speak well of um the characters' uh, smarts. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I'll just be honest and say, like, I had completely forgotten about that, and I think that there's a reason for that, because in a similar vein to the earlier point I had, like, I just thought, oh, God, really? Are we doing this? <laughs> it also doesn't help, by the way, when there's, like, an entire, what feels like, you know, uh, translator's notes, keikaku, like, you know, uh, plan discussion thing, like, going on screen to explain everything. I'm oh, like, yeah, oh, a couple God. different times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was way <laughs> too much text. Now, that's Fan not the summers. show's fault. <laughs> That's not the fo- that's not the show's fault, strictly speaking, because, you know, it is subtitles, you know. It's a concession made for us as a Western audience, but yeah, um that scene. You're you're entirely correct, Doc. Um I think that it's something that we'd have to see the show play out, but you've actually been discussing this made me realise something else. I think there's only so far I'd be willing to tolerate this uh, gag of Goto like, you know, going to such lengths to hide his work. Um, it to me feels like, you know, something that only has a very short shelf life. Uh, to the point where I don't think I would be all that on board with it, given like a full 12 episodes, unless it was done very sparingly. Yeah, maybe there's um, like other stories it wants to tell, and th- but this is like the foundation. And Yeah, you know. I, if... Yeah, if that was like a very occasional thing, but let's let's just say like, you know, th- we've got all the various beats like in this episode, like the cat, for example. <laughs> or the edit, or the editor coming round, you know, at Sihime. Um I liked the editor that kind of, a lot. <laughs> yeah, so happy. Um, yeah, like think basically of the number of times that same gag is played out this episode of Goto, like you know, Goto's uh, secret is threatened and he must hide it. No, if it, yeah, yeah, if that happened with the same amount of frequency every episode, I would tire of it very quickly. Yeah. It's something that, ironically, now that it's been established, the show would be best served dialing back. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I do agree with you now that having think far back, that there are certainly times, as you say, when Hime is not quite up to the same level of, you know, uh, smarts as she otherwise is portrayed to have. 
I would reserve judgment on that until having seen uh, more of the show to determine if that's inconsistent storytelling or if it's just by design um, or if indeed, you know, it does lean into generally being on average, like, you know, more as sharp as she is portrayed in certain scenes in this particular episode. Um, nonetheless, I still think that like when those moments work, uh, in isolation at least, if you if you do deliberately turn off your brain and ignore the, you know, my God, he's leaking breast milk uh, joke, a thing I never thought I'd say, <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, that that's that's a moment. That's a thing. Uh, like if you deliberately turn off your brain and ignore that, uh, then I do think those moments work very well in trying to establish that theme of what this kind of work tends to be about. And I think is always interesting to look at. Yeah, I just um, I suspect if I had to predict that it will continue to be kind of her uh, her wherewithal would rise and fall as is needed for the comedy. Yikes. That would not be great, and to be quite honest, but... And, and oh, the show, well. I mean, there's something about the show that is kind of... Uh, it doesn't feel like it's like anchored in reality anyway. It, it feels very... Fever dream is not the right word, but it, it just something about it feels a little bit fantastical um, mm-hmm. and not quite grounded in real. Maybe it's just the nature of the comedy. Um, I don't know. So so it might be the kind of thing that people aren't like expecting, you know, a consistent characterization or whatever. But like then you have this whole thing is like, well, um if that's not what you're expecting, like, why is that not what you're expecting? Like, is she a character or is she a prop for the comedy, you know? Yeah, because I think the thing to note is, like, in the the one particular scene that everyone has screenshot from this episode, and that's not me, like, making a judgment about people doing that, I'm saying because there's genuine merit to it, is the scene in which he made, you know, goes into her father's storeroom and then all of the pages fly out and around her. It's a beautiful-looking shot. That yeah. It deserves all of the praise that it gets. show looks great. But I... But the problem with that moment is it's also a very strong mood setter for the episode and what you expect. Like, you know, that's, I think, plays into my initial impression that I had of it, which was it's going to be her discovering her father through his work. Uh, which it really isn't because we get, a, like, the most of the episode is of her when she was younger and he was around. Why he's not around anymore is still up for discussion. But, like, yeah, I think that when you have such a powerful moment like that, it really does set a, like, a very, like... It establishes a mood and expectations for what you think the show is going to be about. And that's not to say, like, I didn't, like, I thought, oh, God, the rest of this is terrible because it doesn't follow that mood specifically. But to say it wasn't a little bit jarring would be a lie on my part. Do you have any other points about specific bits of the show? Um... I would only otherwise note that I think that the Clark Kent reference is very good because I think it speaks to ahead of time to the difficulty Ghost is going to face this, where mm. he, as much as he can control things, there will always be things that demand his attention and his intervention, even to the point where he has to throw, like, the butt ring in to save the cat, because it ain't no life preserver, that. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you that for free. Um, <laughs> butt ring. <laughs> yeah. Is it, why is it a, a butt ring? <laughs> what? That's, what he sit, that's what he sits on. Oh, that's, uh, like, just, for he, his um, posture or whatever at work. Yeah, oh. it's what he describes it as. Okay. 
oh, I didn't know what it yeah. was. Like, why does he have that? <laughs> he's a dirty manga cover off. I, I got you. Know. Yeah, yeah. You know, you gotta you gotta be uh, knowledgeable of these things, Doc, in order to write that kind of material. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I found that interesting that that seems to be like the the um, thesis statement ahead of time of like the problems that he's going to face, where there's only so much he can control in his life, and there will always be things that you know come and will surprise him. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would also like to know as well is I found it interesting that there's also as much as there is that you know. Um, discord between like how he views his daughter's maturity and her actual level of maturity you know breast milk joke notwithstanding um there's a reason that a lot of the adults we meet uh in this show like are in respectable professions uh at least quote-unquote respectable like according to standards like that we have like you know the doctors and the nurses for example or even you know um the PE teacher physical education sensei that you know we meet like they all know of his work um oh right i forgot about her (laughs) yeah but there's there's an interest there's an interesting like you know um parallel between how gozo hides his work yet they are not afraid of talking about it in public even though they themselves are from professions that you know would think that they wouldn't be bringing up balls of fury in their workplace or like in in public um they're able then it's strange when you think about it like they're able to talk about his work openly and yet he is not which in the way feels kind of sad um yeah but uh whether or not he'll lean into that more as a thing to talk about uh we will see but nonetheless i thought that you know like there's a very deliberate reason the show is like having these people bring this up not just for comedy's sake but also by drawing an emphasis to their profession as well that you know it's not a normal thing for say a doctor to also then be reading dirty manka but the thing is probably a lot of them do like you know how many things do we like you know are we into that we wouldn't necessarily talk about in public or even necessarily privately um but there aren't really you know a source of shame as they should be like they should be more normalized that's something that like you know it only really scratches the surface of in this episode i'd be curious to see if it does more with that later yeah it just struck me as funny right because he feels so self-conscious about it but no one yeah. else does. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, did you, by the way, did you... <laughs> another point I found genuinely funny is, uh, did you catch the Attack on Titan like cover reference? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Showed a man baby in a diaper walking it's, around. It's the, it's the best that Attack on Titan has been in years. <laughs> no. When they showed a picture, like a cover of a successful, like this is the best manga going right now. <laughs> yeah poly polycure no less as well like uh-huh very good um okay mm. so here like here is my um larger point about the show and why i think um as enjoyable as a lot of the elements of it are i think as a whole um it doesn't quite work for me or there's always going to be kind of a something tugging at the back of my brain as we, as, as we watch it is okay. How to, how to, how to first broach this topic. Um, all right, here, here's a, I'll try to get into it sideways, I guess, rather than directly. Um, what happened to the mom? Why is this a single dad? raising a girl yeah like because she you know she has the baby but her face is blurred out or whatever and then she is just she's just gone 
And I mean, there could be a million different reasons for that, right? Like it, but what matters? The show should bring that up, though. <laughs> I guess, but like, yeah. I mean, what matters is that she's not there. The show is about uh, a single dad raising a little girl, and it just—it's always that, isn't it? Why? Why do you think that there are no really no anime that I can think of that are about single mothers raising pet? There might be single mothers in anime, but they are part of, you know, Shonen Boy Number Forty Four's story. Like, there's no anime that I can think of about single moms, or for that matter, about happily married families like the parents. It's like if we're getting single parent raising always a little daughter. Never a little son. <laughs> it's a single dad. Um, yeah, I, oh. and, I hadn't thought of this. And you're entirely correct. And the thing is, like, what you brought up then about the idea of, well, you know, why is it not a single mom or why is it not a, a, a happily married family? Like, what I've realized when you said about that is that, like, those two concepts aren't necessarily equivalent because, like, I can see, for example, like, you know, this, the comedy beats I think would work for, like, an overprotective dad would work just as well for an overly protective mum. Now, granted, I'm speaking as a Westerner here, like, this is Japanese humour being what it is, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't fly with me. I mean, we talked about this in this very same episode. Um, but, like, the idea, like, you know, of a, of a single parent, like, you know, like, there's, there's some humour to be derived from that and all the effort they have to go to. Um, and indeed, like, you know, there's also the fact that there are female mangaka out there. So that's not even outside the realm of possibility for this particular concept. No. And then there's the and then there's the happily married family. And the thing about that is you could then have that be a thing where the daughter doesn't know, but obviously the partner does, be it the husband or wife, and you know, that makes for, you know, some comedy where, you know, they have to play dumb when, you know, Kime brings like in this alternate version of Kusho, so brings up like, you know, hey, I found this here. Like, what's this thing? What's balls of fury? And, like Oh, it, it, it's just a silly sports side. Uh, you could have like something interesting, like where uh, Goto in this in this version, like you know, is freaking out, but his wife, uh, Goto, Mrs. Goto, whatever you are called, like <laughs> yeah. is completely is completely stone cold calm and just has it professionally handled. That would be funny as a contrast. So, even just like you know, in terms of like beyond like the fact that as you say, I can't really think of any you know single mom anime. Uh, with the possible exception of Emmo Junkie, because uh, Mori Mori Chan is raising her in, uh, in-game avatar, her in-game son. Um, but, okay, fair. Like beyond beyond that, no, I can't think of it, and I can't think of a really good reason why. Um, oh, I can think no, of. I'm, I'm out. I think there's a reason, but I, I mean, there's not a. So is it? Is it? It's not a good reason, though. Is right? It? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the... yeah, yeah. It's it's because I, in my opinion, and I owe. Uh, some of my thinking on this to uh, Caitlin Moore of Anime Feminist, who wrote up the review for the first episode of this, and shouts to Caitlin. Yeah, I mean she she put into words a lot of th- thoughts that I already had, but reading that like definitely crystallized a lot of what I was thinking and my dis- discomfort. Like, is that like you know there's not there's not single mom anime or single dad raising a son because it's not like a marketable fantasy and mm-hmm. this show is you know like uh like yotsubato and like sweetness and lightning it's a fantasy i don't 
even necessarily mean uh, a sexual one because I mean, certainly, oh, oh, certainly, Yotsu- and Yotsubato is from the point of view of the daughter, whereas Sweetness and Lightning is from the point of view of the single dad. But but Yotsubato is, um, you know, uh, y- girl younger than Hime, in fact, I believe, and uh, single dad. But um, you know, it it is the fantasy of wanting, you know, of having uh an obedient little girl and being being a dad who can you know be there and have this obedient child in in your life this obedient little girl do stuff um and she's not too smart you know if she was she was too smart she would figure out the problem or whatever but like you know when you talk about like the effort it takes for a single parent to raise a child you know, all the problems in Goto's life are self-created. Yeah, that, oh my god, I was just thinking of this as you were saying it, I was like, wait a minute, you know, what, like, if he is, re- like, the, she's not even, I'm getting tongue said, the, the mom is not even really mentioned at all, so if we go, like, we're just going to assume, of course, that she's absent for whatever reason, but yeah, like, the problems that he has in raising, like, it's pretty, it's pretty idyllic, this family life otherwise. Yeah, she seems to entirely take care of herself and do everything Godo says to do and exist to make him feel good. Um, yeah. And there's there's not the, the difficulty or hardships or conflicts or anything like that, and, uh, you know, it's the first episode, and maybe there will be some, and on and on, but I just don't think that's the kind of show this is. It really does feel like unmoored from reality and very much kind of an idyllic comfort fantasy, like comfort to um, men of a certain age that want to, uh, they're, but they're not in a relationship. So having the partner is not a part of the fantasy. Because um, they're mm. they're a problem, they're an issue, they're difficult. Um, to have have a child, you have to, you know, be with another person, and that's if only no. I could get the stock on Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, as it it may sound like I'm being super critical of the fantasizers, and that's not like you know that's not necessarily what I w- want to do. Like I, I'm not here to to shame that sort of thing and i think it's you know not my place to do that and that is that is fine that is whatever but um just for me viewing it um something about it like kind of makes rose me the wrong way um it just not not for me um because because of because of all this, just the construction of it from the foundation up, it just feels like a thing that is going to going to always kind of be gnawing at the back of my brain and bothering me about it. Yeah, I now I hadn't even thought of that, but I I find myself completely unable to disagree with your point there, Doc. Um, I mean, like. I'm missing uh, the mother here. Like, I mean, apart from missing out on the comedic opportunities, like it does, as you say, like now that you put it that way to me, read as appealing to that kind of fantasy. Uh, the artifice feels very much like on display now, which is a shame. And like the, 
the sad thing is, like, I'm now thinking back to the opening uh, scene of uh, Hime finding his, like, you know, work. If the show had just literally continued from there and her trying to reverse engineer him as a person, like, to the point where he's not literally in the world anymore, or even in flashback necessarily, as to the extent he is here, where it's more about her, I think that this issue would have dissolved away, and it probably could still retain much of its current identity. Um... But yeah, I I legitimately cannot disagree with that, and I do think that that is a shame that it has to be about the marketability first. I mean, okay, yeah, you know, we live in a society and all <laughs> that. How many times am I gonna am I gonna mention that? Right, <laughs> God, it. But it is it is so true, and yeah, I got nothing other than to say that sucks, and I I I. But I do absolutely agree I mean, with you. I, I guess it sucks, right? I mean, it's. I don't, I, again, like, I think that there are going to be a lot of people, just in general, who enjoy it, and people in our Discord, patrons who who really dig this show, and, like, that is fine. And even, like, again, there are jokes in this that are good jokes and are funny. Um, mm. I, enjo- I enjoyed them. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, the, um, again, the, uh, uh, the framework um, is, is about it is going to um, be not... Not something I wholeheartedly enjoy, but like that doesn't mean that other people can't or or should feel bad for doing. No, I I agree, and and maybe I came across as a bit harsh in my sudden U-turn. That doesn't mean I suddenly hate the show, but like I would be lying if I said like uh, feels a little diminished as a result of this revelation that I've just had. Um, which is a shame. Like I say, the the framework to me feels like it's in place to do things a little differently to like get around that it could do but, maybe maybe it will but we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see how things pan out i mean i'm hoping that at some point like what might actually happen is that we move away from the current format which is a fairly linear retelling of a point in time in hime's life when she was younger to you know let's say time skip dad's no longer around for reasons whatever they may be she finds his store of manga and then the reverse engineering thing that i suggested comes about uh, that to me would be much more interesting. Like, you know, that this is probably the, maybe the first episode is literally the only slice of like memory that she has that's still very clear. Although ironically, when we get to yesterday in a little while, uh, we'll have much more to discuss on memory and how that show handles that significantly better. Um, although that might also be because that was the deliberate intent of that show, but that's discussion for after we get, once we get to that point. Right. Um, do we have any more points? Because there is a patron question regarding mm-hmm. uh, Kusha. Uh, so I'll just say that the thing that you actually, you know, you said that my talk revealed something to you. You've revealed to me that, um, like, it, it, truly, truly, I do hope that they have more jokes in the show because, because yeah, it, the premise of the show, you know, it, it feels like it runs deep. I mean, it's the guy's name. So if that is really the only, like the the big joke, like it, boy, they've they've built a show around one joke. That that's I, I hope not. I mean, again, I really did like Sayonara Zetsubo Sensei a lot. Um, so I think the the author of the original work has like proven themselves as a capable comedy writer. Um, so. Uh, that's probably not as much of a worry. At least I hope not. But what's the patron question? 
Okay, so we're doing Patreon questions a bit backwards this time around, just to keep the format consistent. We would normally ch- tackle them first, but some of the ones we've got require us to do some uh, establishment ahead of time. Uh, this one comes from Kate Rose and goes something a bit like this. Kagushi Goto seems to have some mood swing issues, which made the series seem more funny, much like the original Fruits Basket. Do you have any concerns about this? As presented at the moment, not really. Um, I think that the concern I had the most was why I mentioned where the mood of the opening scene of Hime finding her father's work seemed to not really be followed through from, which is a different problem than it being a, like a clashing of tone, like if you follow my meaning. Um, but I think there's still potential for that moment to be revisited and for the show to shift its perspective from simply being here's how things were in the past to here's me trying to imagine things from the past. Indeed, now that I think about that, the fact that Hime has been shown like to be very restrained in her use of imagination in certain times, maybe that could in itself be an interesting thing to explore that she now has to ima- like, imagine what her father was really like versus how Weir presents it. Like, There's potential here to be worked with. Um, but I think the show's tone is generally pretty consistent. Um, although I think that, you know... It's also dodging a lot of questions, such as the the mom angle, the mom angle that you mentioned there, Doc, um, which is in of itself a problem, as we've said. But generally speaking, no, I'm not so worried about the tone going forward and how it's going to handle the more serious subject matter. Um, I just hope it does actually give it its proper due more than anything else. That's the main issue. You know, it's funny. Like when I think of the show, I don't. What comes to mind is rather than the juxtaposition or the what the thing that Kate mentioned is um not like making the serious seem funny but actually like making mountains out of molehills like to blowing things out of proportion um in order to like illustrate or kind of i guess commiserate with uh you know uh other parents potentially uh, or wannabe parents um like ah the here's an issue that parents know about um but it's like this super exaggerated easily solvable situation um i like in in setsubo sensei it i don't want to spoil the joke of setsubo uh the but like it also was very much like if you read the premise on paper, you'd be like, that's dark, but they, it was treated as something very silly. <laughs> um, that's, that's dark. That's dark. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's why I made, it's why I made coffee. Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> yes. Like, um, so I think this might be like a feature of, of the author's work, like, um, making light of, uh, of grave matter. Um, but I, yeah, um, it didn't, that in and of itself didn't, um, what, what wasn't one of the things that, uh, that set off a, like a red flag or anything like that for me, no. Fair play. Right. Um, I think that otherwise then brings us to our, the end of our discussion for Kakushi Goso. Um, we're not going to decide just yet. We're going to tease you all a little longer, uh, you know, on which one of these two we're going to cover. Cause obviously we still need to discuss, uh, yesterday, which in of itself has been doing the rounds a bit in anime discussion circles. And with good reason, there's certainly place to talk about that one. Uh, we are going to take a quick break and we will then come back and actually tackle that one properly. And also then, you know, Decide which anime we'll leave alive and which one is going to be, you know, uh, 
is going to be executed. Yeah. Gonna, which one gets the thumbs Get down? Kicked off yeah. the island. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, don't adjust your internet browsers or uh, you know whatever device list is. Some we'll be back right after this. Welcome back, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs. It is currently 20 to 7 in the morning in uh, Great Britain over here. Sunshine, you know, it's Easter Friday, um, and I am very sober, which is greatly disappointing. Uh, apparently, Doc is going to be uh, solving that problem himself, <laughs> though, for himself, which Not makes I. me very jealous. <laughs> yeah. And... And I have to say, like, you know, I think this is the first time in which Doc will have been drinking on cast and I will not, which really goes to show what kind of opposite time we live in right now, you know, what kind of bizarro yeah, world we've fallen down. into. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's so strange. Um, but anyway, we are now back and we're going to discuss the next show on our chopping block today, you know, in our two shows, Enter One Show Leaves, mm-hmm. you know, Ultimate Anime Fighting uh, Championship, you know, ring match. Uh, and this one is uh, Sing for Yesterday. Um, sing yesterday which, for me. Sing yesterday for me. Sing for yesterday. Sing, sing, sing. Yesterday, yesterday, sing, sing. <laughs> I don't know. All my troubles are so far away. Yada yada. yada. <laughs> something, something like that. So, um, do you believe in this show? <laughs> this this show though, like I, I need to say something before we even start. Uh, I just want to acknowledge a part of this show's production. And I'm so glad it's actually happening this way because I've been saying for so long, like, why are we not doing this? Uh, this show is 18 episodes. And... Holy like, cow. <laughs> yes, I know. And, you know, like, we still live in a kind of era in which, like, the format um, and duration, uh, even of individual episodes, never mind of a season or what constitutes mm-hmm. a season, is still very much dominated by the structures of television broadcasting. Like, you know, anime itself, like, you know, we have seasons, so we have 12 episodes per season, and these usually are 25 minutes long, you know, round up to 30 when you throw in the adverts when they're put on television broadcast. But, like, we live in an era now, like, where a lot of our media consumption is entirely through digital streaming on demand. Uh, there is no formal program. I mean, that's why television programs are called programs because they are, you know, they originate from a format in which you would have a set list of things to watch on a channel at any given time. It would be up to this side. So the fact that Yesterday has now got 18 episodes, which isn't like either 12 or 24, it isn't a divisor of 12, you know, to make a, a season or two seasons worth. Um, I am really, really excited for that just because A, it's been allowed to happen. And B... Because it means that they are taking as long as they feel is necessary, at least as far as the number of episodes goes, to tell the story they want to tell. So that has me really intrigued just on that basis alone. 
Um, so good on them for being allowed to do that. Uh, if we do end up picking this show, that means we're going to have a full six weeks of nothing to discuss though on second stream. We'll have to pull something in real fast at the end of that to do. Yeah, that that could be a time. Like, listen, I've been thinking about this for that could be a time to do retro stuff or do films yeah. or something just to fill the weeks. Um, could, could could be an idea because we've taken a break like between seasons, but for like one week, maybe two, but six is a long time. Hell yeah. So um, I wanted to just get that out there now. Um, but I must also note, like, you know, we've just talked about Kaguchi Goto, which on the whole, I think has been, if we want to use Valhalla drinks, like it's been a sugar rush, you know, it's it's a, you know, it's a very lighthearted, fun caper, that show, at least based on its first episode. Some slightly more, you know, you know, straight moments like with the scene that i mentioned multiple times of he may finding like a father's manga which then goes flying everywhere no doubt pissing off his dead ghost like to no end like no my manga she's gonna find it ah! you can totally see that being a scene in that show by the way i know you can um I can. but if that's if that's like you know the uh the red bull g whiz like you know moment of anime for this season <laughs> then yesterday is the incredibly sober like you know counterpoint in my opinion not to say that it's devoid of some energy or like you know uh some like joy de vivre if you want to use that particular term but to call the episode to call the shows like subject matter uh a real big mood i think would be an understatement to be quite honest <laughs> <laughs> I think the word that perfectly sums it up is a word that I think is a word you like. I've seen you type it a few times. I, I do love my words. I think ennui. I think it is a show yes. steeped in, in uh, ennui. Um, that like weird time between school ending and the young person finding kind of like if not their sort of calling at least something then well they're themselves in their own kind of existential footing but also like just kind of a the place or or a a job or something where they're doing something fulfilling where they feel like i I am moving in a direction a direction perhaps is the thing that they're searching for yeah yeah absolutely i would agree with you wholeheartedly on that so okay um before we get into our talking points regarding uh yesterday we are actually going to bring up the patron question that came in for this one first uh because the question itself like mentions certain things that we in turn would need to explain ahead of time and i feel that therefore bringing it up now as a framing device and then revisiting at the end would probably be the best way of answering it so uh this particular question comes from emily rand who actually wrote an article on this uh, very first episode i'd very highly recommend you check it out uh i believe it's at for me in full bloom at wordpress.com although if you uh, yep. feel free to ask her on her account uh, aj the fourth on twitter i'm sure she'll point to you if i've got that wrong she is an um, official friend of the pod and this is a friend of the pod question, and she gets the friend of the pod plug for her website. Damn right. And so the question goes something like this. There is a lot to like about the first episode of yesterday and a lot of potential red flags. Uh, No red flag emoji there, which is immensely disappointing to me, but never mind. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. Um, How much did the technical qualities of this episode assuage any fears, nice word, by the way, if you had any, of the narrative setup? So... We are going to need to actually talk about what red flags uh, Emily might be referring to. And I actually know what these are because I've seen them being discussed on Twitter. And when I saw them, I similarly to how you mentioned like the whole um, 
setup of Kakushi Goso's like you know fantasy for you know single daddom if you want to call it that or single fatherdom trouble free uh, like, obedient yeah. little girl yeah 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 like I now recognize that these things are a potential flag as well and indeed funnily enough like I'm gonna get this joke out of the way now because I think like a lot of the jokes I try to make and maybe not necessarily succeed at there is a grade of truth to it which is I didn't realize we'd be getting a reboot of Welcome to NHK so soon but hey here we are I, I wish I understood the joke because I have not seen an HK. That is a, a hole in my anime catalog. <laughs> well, I, I have long been wanting to revisit it because I think that I I used to think NHK was my favorite anime and it's since been supplanted. It's not even, I'd argue, my second favorite. Um, but the thing is, like, the reason I wanted to revisit it was not just because of, like simply to answer the question do i still think it's good but also to examine the idea of like the time uh, in our lives in which we consume media and the effect that has on how we interpret it and the meaning it gives us because let's be honest you can't watch things in a vacuum you're not in the hyperbolic anime watching time chamber where nothing like you know affects you in any way shape or form and you come out the other end like you know and nothing's happened like how you interpret a work of art uh, will depend on where you are even just on the day like on your mood never mind where you are in terms of your life mm-hmm, and you know mm-hmm. and your status so the red flag then um the reason i made the nhk joke is because even when i first watched welcome to nhk i had some serious issues with its ending particularly how it related to the ancillary characters and how they were resolved in that they were resolved in the most like you know ham-fisted uh, hand wavy kind of way that actually made me really worried for some of their like lives post show if you want to call it that you know in the canon beyond canon if you want to describe it that way um, I don't remember the names of the characters offhand because I haven't watched it still unfortunately and funnily enough I think watching yesterday will actually completely defeat the purpose of me yeah. having to watch Welcome to NHK again it's funny how these things work out don't the main but characters do... kind of even look alike yes I'm, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong I f- but I, I as I was watching it, you know, I I read your NHK joke and I was thinking, wait a minute, this guy kind of looks like that protagonist. Yeah, too. like like Sas, like Sasso, I think his name is is the protagonist. Um, but like the other characters, like <clears throat> I don't remember the name of the uh, childhood friend of Sasso's, and funnily enough, childhood friends do pop up twice in this particular episode uh, of yesterday. So the similarities are not entirely without merit. Um, like she, you know, the the big like story arc of nhk's first season is that they travel to an island to commit ritual suicide together like this group of people in this little like internet cult of which uh sato's childhood lady friend who he had a crush on uh is one of them because the reason that she feels so dejected is to do that is she's in a loveless relationship with a salaryman guy who basically neglects her uh he's not actively hostile to her or like you know harmful so he's not like you know beating her up or anything but he simply doesn't seem to recognize that she needs some actual emotional intimacy or anything from him beyond, I, hi, honey, I'm home, or hi, honey, I'm off to work. Now, I grant you my recollection of the show is a bit hazy because I haven't seen it in quite some time, but this stuck in my mind very strongly. Uh, what happens is that they, uh, the rest of the cast, including uh, her boyfriend, travel to this uh, island, and he proposes to her as a means of stopping her from killing herself. And in the end, uh, they don't get married, but they do have a kid together. And oh, here's the fi- that yeah. solved the problem. 
God. I don't. Well, you know what? You know what's funny, Doc. You literally saying that means I need to say no more because I think if you, you I think everyone listening to this podcast understand that solves jack shit and if arguably makes things worse. Yeah, uh, and that to me is how that ultimately played out. Even at the time when I watched NHK, I thought that's a problem. So, what does this have to do with listeners? You might wonder. Um, Hopefully, they didn't the f- present it as a happy ending, did they? Yeah, let's not talk about well, that. Well, I, mean, I mean, I guess even if they did, like, it's, I don't, it's whatever. Characters are allowed to fuck up, and that will certainly be a fuck up. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I can just, just, don't, well just, just don't end it. Just don't end it on a on a thing that the show presents as a positive note, though. That's a problem. It's a very sure. simplistic answer to a very, very difficult question. In fact, mm. no, I'm lying. It's a very simple answer to a very simple question, which is maybe he should pay more attention to her. It ain't fucking hard. Or just break uh, up, guys. Just... Yeah, or, or even or even that, I don't know. But anyway, we're not here to discuss HK, even though I, I kept, kept saying I would eventually. <laughs> uh, maybe I should just start rewatching it while we're discussing this. Like, Doc, have you got, like, you know, a full two days to spare? <laughs> no, uh, I'm kidding. So the red flags that uh, Emily mentions here, like, there's potential ones. Like, I'm going to come out and say it, basically. Like, the fear I have with this show, and I think it's an entirely justified one from the way that it's portrayed, and particularly certain small moments is that this is basically going to boil down to a love triangle in which um, Rico, who is our lead male, our lead schlob, uh, you know, has to pick between uh, quirky, you know, Edgar Allan Poe girl on the left and, you know, regular uh, va- regular vanilla teacher lady on the right. No, no, really, like, I'm sorry, but when the first thing we see in this episode is basically, I mean, to quote the Raven, it goes something a bit like this, you know, and then suddenly there was a rapping, a tapping at my convenience store. Because there's a crow knocking... <laughs> God, I, I've been holding on to that all Man. week. Oh, <laughs> so bad. I'm not even ashamed of it. The love triangle yeah. between um, past and future Hanekawas. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> well played, Doc. Well played. But like, here's the fear, right? Basically, it boils down to the fact that. We're essentially going to have broken people, uh, particularly Rico, because in much the same way as you said that Kagushi Goto was, and you know it's funny, like we said we wouldn't compare things directly, but now that we're talking about it, we are, and I suppose that's how these things go. But like you know how you said Kagushi Goto was like about the you know single father fantasy of having a dosing you know uh, uncomplicated, undifficult child, uh, mm-hmm. particularly a daughter. Uh, in the same way, like you know, as much as I say that you know this will be about broken people uh, finding each other romantically and becoming happier and healing through that let's make no mistake here if this is going to happen in this show be it with haru and rico or haru sorry or rico and shinako i almost said haru and shinako though i was like that's a that's the dark horse ending that we're not going to expect not and i'm not saying dark horse because they inherently wrong with it but you know full well the show's not going to do that um but what i mean to say is like if you have rico help up with either of these two ladies uh the benefit, like, of doing so is going to be very disproportionately waste in favor of him. Like, you know, it's going to be mostly to his benefit and in turn the audiences as a proxy kind of thing or a self-insert. Mm. That's the big fear. Mm-hmm. That, as I understand it, is the red flag. And I've seen uh, Emily herself discuss that with others on Twitter. I think Natasha um, at Ilgene's, um mm-hmm. mentioned this as well. IGN and it's not... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's not a fear I can actually dismiss to be quite honest, because I think that in hindsight, that's also the problem that NHK had. Like, I recognize the problem with the whole, you know, girlfriend, like, you know, getting married and getting pregnant, like, you know, to solve uh, her genuine issues with her, like, fundamental foundational issues with their relationship problem. But in hindsight, I hadn't recognized that between Sato and I cannot 
remember the lead female character's name uh, in AHK, but it is true. It is a it is a true issue here because here's the thing, right? There's a scene in this episode that made me worried about that, but the, uh, and this is something I recognised on the rewatch is that um, Rikuo and Shinako like they knew each other when they were younger, and he's had a crush on her for quite some time, so he goes and confesses that to her. And I understand the idea behind this, and I think that if this was done differently, I'd have no issue with it, because essentially he's not committing to anything. He doesn't want to be a defined person. He doesn't want to have hard, like, facts about who he is, really. Like, he doesn't want to commit to a proper job, he doesn't want to commit to a relationship, so on and so forth. He doesn't want to do anything for a fear of failure. Um, So him confessing, like, that he has a crush on Shinako... Like, as a means of putting something out there that actually happens and has genuine potential consequences, be it good or quite possibly really bad, uh, you know, could ruin their friendship and such. Like, I understand that from a narrative perspective as, like, a really, in of its own way, good thing to do. Like, you know, he's taking a step to do something definitive. I grant you it probably shouldn't be confessing a crush, maybe, but, you know, baby steps and all that. You know, people can fuck up. People mm-hmm. can make mistakes. And people can do things that are not necessarily, you know, the most optimal. I mean, it's drama, you know. That's to be expected. But here's the issue I have with this. There's a scene later on, uh, which is only very brief, but we see Shinako looking out the window af- for him after he leaves. um, Looking a bit uh, forlorn. And... I really, really wish that wasn't in there because to me that seems to hint at the love triangle because it's a, you know, it's clearly her thinking like, you know, did I say the right thing in turning him down? Like, you know, that there's that's the way I read that. To me, for this to work, Shinako would have need to have left the show entirely at that point or rather it needs to be remained completely platonic with no hint of anything more than that after the point. Like, you know, she's she's happy they confessed and she's mature enough to recognize that they should still be friends, but it doesn't alter their relationship in any way. But nonetheless, that doesn't then in turn take away from Rikuo's own acts of actually confessing to her as him having, you know, taking a chance on something, you know, committing to something. So yeah, I think in terms of red flags that is definitely one of them that makes it seem like it's going to play out in the way like a lot of these shows can do where it's not really interested about addressing the fundamental problems that led the people to become the way they are but more about fixing them after the fact through some just good old plain romance as if you know that solves everything when in reality it doesn't it doesn't fundamentally fix people you're not like i'm not going to pretend that you know people can't be healed by meeting uh someone else you know that's um, that's not fair to say like you know that does happen and it's a good thing when it does happen as well i'm not going to try and uh, play that down here but there's a difference between that happening in real life and that being like you know the how should we say the message of a show which is that's the way you should go about it being healed or made happier by someone should be a consequence of you meeting not an objective if you follow my meaning i do um yeah and i mean it right so, oh boy, there's a lot to unpack from what you said. Um, red flags wise, and the specific scenes you mentioned. So, Shinako was it the the teacher? Um, yes. So I I that particular scene that you talked about did not hit me as an issue because I sort of enjoy. Um, the fact that she herself doesn't really even know exactly how she feels like her, the nature of her feelings is kind of complicated. I think that that 
um, it speaks to the fact, I think, that her inner life is more complicated and not less, which, um, which I think is a good thing. Though, like, I mean, when looking at the show as a whole, I mean, I think I do understand the fear that, um, these young women are going to be, are going to feel like that they are pieces in the board game that is dude bro's life. Um, living Prozac, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I, right. I, I think I got just enough from Haru this episode that I don't actually think that she is going to be like she's going to be some kind of savior for him so you know uh and set set him on uh set him on the proper course like I I actually think um if I had to I don't think anyone will get together with each other I think that they they might want to at different points and the other will be unavailable, but I, kind of through their kind of brokenness, bouncing up against each other and doing what they can to help each other, because they're all going to end up caring about each other if they don't already, um, will like they're going to help each other through this troubled time in each of their lives. Like they're going to kind of stumble through it together, um, and kind of be necessary sounding boards and ways to like experience things with someone for the first time or, or, you know, share feelings, uh, just kind of, and I, I think that they, to some degree are all going to kind of use each other. Um, maybe use as a harsh way of, of putting it, but, but I do think that they like, they all kind of clearly, e- even the ladies, like, stand to gain something from their relationship i mean like it's really easy to see the framing of how rikuo like you know he's got both of these pretty girls kind of interested in him and one is falling all over him and the other is his like you know it's it's kind of it's kind of funny because uh kinoshisa the other main character we meet in this episode who is the gentleman you mentioned as being from what was it from a rock video i can't remember yeah macross seven with this dumb headband that was it (laughs) yeah um he even he says like you know what's your secret how do you do it and i was if i Dude. were riffing on this mystery <laughs> science theater 3000 style i said because i'm an anime protagonist that's how absolutely fucking lo- like you the the subtitle like i don't understand why you're so popular it's like right he just seems like a sour guy <laughs> like why do people like him but um uh but I, yeah so but I, I i don't know i also feel like um Shinako is not just totally innocent either. I think that she, you know, after kind of, uh, it's, I don't know all the details. I don't think we've been given them yet, but she started in a job in another city, but then got transferred to a high school back here. And I feel mm. like she is kind of using him and, and kind of, her like letting her maternal side come out to take care of him as kind of a, la- ex- a landing pad, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, that was the exact word that I thought of when I saw their discussions with each other, like the, the chats as they were walking through the streets, which is to the credit of the dialogue, by the way, that that came across so strongly to me, and it kind of foreshadowed what happened later. Like when he said he was a convi- like you know, confess her, like, and she said, you know, let's stay friends, like. I saw that coming, and I'm not saying that in the sense like, you know, oh, it was so predictable, but 
because the be- the dialogue between them was so well written, it actually made sense, like, you know, from what was established, that that's the reaction she would have, because that's how she was treating him prior to like, you know, maternally, as you say. Yeah. And then Haru, like, it feels like she is kind of uh, identified a target of, like, uh, I mean, like, it is a person that she knew from when she was basically a cosplayer of Subasa Hanakawa from Bakemonogatari. <laughs> but um, like she you know she knew him and everything but like and and maybe she does have genuine feelings for him but it almost feels like she's targeting him because he's safe and she knows that he is not going to um he's not the kind of person that would take advantage of her yet right now i i hope <laughs> and she's free to kind of like throw herself at him a little bit without um without consequences and she can kind of be this free spirit and a little bit irresponsible um so yeah they all kind of feel like that they're gaining something from from each other but the show is definitely framed from Rico's perspective and so i definitely like i i i i think i see the fears of what it could become i think the show does just stay inside the line this episode uh, on on the good side of the line in terms of walking the fine line mm. yeah i i hear you on that and i i still really really like this episode mm-hmm. don't get me wrong i mean i'd also be a liar if i said that none of this like resonated with me from my own past experiences or even you know things perhaps a little more recently but i i do see that fear and i I think it's one of those things we're going to need the fullness of time to truly get a grip on. Um, maybe not even necessarily to watch the show in full, but more just to see how certain beats play out. I really hope it doesn't end the way that it did with NHK, where I've like had that same reaction. Even when I was, like, say, when I was much younger, I was like, oh, God, like, this ending between these two characters is terrible. It's atrocious. Um but yeah, like I do still think that that scene with Shinako should have been dropped entirely. Or maybe, as I say, she should have exited the show. Um, I do. I am, of course, Ooh. aware that they plan to do more, yeah. more with her entirely. <laughs> um, but I think that it might also have been to, if you are going to frame it in such a way that Rico is going to be reaping the most of the uh, narrative reward, shall we say, where it's going to be viewed mostly to his benefit and not necessarily to theirs, then in that case, actually lead into that, like dive right into that and make it therefore that the characters aren't to the point where they're important enough to be you know, for that to be a problem, you know. Now, I know that sounds like I'm discarding these female characters, which I'm not. I mean, I mean to say, like, you know, that they serve their purpose narratively and then they're gone. And they're not there, you know, to continue to be like a what if, like, you know, Betty and Veronica shit, like, you know. Um, but I, th- see, I think that they're also fucked up that even the ladies stand to, like, they have things that they want from him. And, mm. like, and it's not necessarily, I, I don't think the hand has been played and it's definitely like, oh, the thing they want from him is to fuck him or get in a relationship with him. <laughs> I think that they're more complicated than that. Like, I think that there's like, again, I think Shinako, like, she just wants to, f- like, find a little safe landing spot where she can do something familiar and take care of this kid to feel like she's taking care of someone else. So maybe she feels like she's taking care of herself a little bit here. Like her life, there's a familiar framework. She can get a little control back because, you know, she failed out of uh, the top 
kind of thing that she wanted to do with her life. And now she's back here in this town she grew up in. Um, mm. Like, I, maybe I'm, and I'm also speculating a little bit here with the character, but like, you know, it, it feels like that's genuinely possible. And again, there's so much that, that Haru, like, I mean, don't you, like, like could um, want to kind of use Rikuo to get like I again I just don't see I don't see her really like the it's sort of the beginning and end being I want you know Onichan I want you to to bang me and that's it like, <laughs> like I don't um that doesn't the feel crow like, stays on during yeah, sex yeah no I don't I don't think that that's it like she's she seems like a complicated chick and again I feel like you know she is getting she's getting the safe kind of whatever guy uh to be around that she enjoys hanging out with maybe she had a little crush on or has a little crush on but like she can again be this free spirit and she can talk to him and she can do all this stuff and i feel like she's getting something out of it but like um i don't know maybe i'm being too generous with the show because yeah, because I don't know. I mean, the end of the episode, you do feel like Rikuo sort of sidles up a little bit to to Haru, like, well, Shinako has turned me down. So, hey, why don't we talk a little bit? Why don't I take a picture of you? Um, it's incredibly convenient, therefore, that Haru is always the one who's, like, coming on to him. It feels very, like, consequence-free, like, oh, well, I got turned down, but there's this girl who's constantly coming on to me. You know, they yeah. can, like, He's the gonna, can yeah. be a bit, yeah. Well, they're going to fail, like, you know, she, like, failed into him, she being um, Shinako, uh, into the kind of uh, big sister, mothery, childhood friend deal that, that she needs. But again, I, I think maybe she doesn't even understand her own feelings. Like, maybe she does like him and just doesn't want to admit it. Maybe she didn't yeah. know, but, like, the the whole confession deal kind of, made her kind of confront it and think about it like in a new light like maybe that's maybe she feels like she's you know he's beneath me professionally i need to be aspiring to more but she really does have feelings like there could be a lot going on um there's enough on the character where i feel like it's warranted that you can do that kind of speculation um yeah and although at the same time i have to say like i think that in terms of who gets the lion's share of the screen time um shinako is like left in third totally oh totally totally and which i think is to uh, i think there's why i felt in such a way that she felt as i say narratively not in terms of her literally as a person but like narratively as disposable like that she would be in the episode returning briefly uh rico would do his thing confess the crush and then she would leave the story entirely um I don't know, like, it, it's it's odd. Uh, but this is also the same problem we have with Kagushioso, where this is just the first episode. We need to give it the fullness yeah. of time to give it um, a proper appreciation. And I think, like, it's not necessarily even a straightforward love triangle because it's not, like, just to... This relationship is isosceles, baby! Yeah, like, there, <laughs> there is, um... It's, it's not just about the ladies and their relationship to the man they have a history that is needs to be explored further too. So Shinako Shinako doesn't need to go even if everything with Rico is resolved, which I don't think it is. But like there's stuff with Haru from her past. She's one of her students and you know, she quit school. 
uh, she got suspended from working a job, and Shinako took it very personally. A, a job, a job at a club, no less. Like this was not simply her, you know, working a Seven Eleven or anything like this. Was um, <clears throat> well, this was the uh, Makoto arc from Persona yes, Five, exactly right. Um, I was thinking of going to Shibuya. Uh, was it Shibuya? Was the what, what was the red light district in? in I P5. think it was Shibuya, but uh, it made me think of that that bar from there where you go meet the journalist. Um, but yeah, there's interesting stuff there too. And, um, uh, do, so can we talk about specific moments of the show or do you want to stay on this yes. broad? No, no um, I think we've done a good job of getting the red flags out there. So we should be in a good place to cover Emily's question later. So let's get uh, onto specifics. So I loved, um, the conversation between Rikuo and Haru toward the end of the episode where mm. like she is talking about like sort of she's reacting to his story of of confessing and she says like i envy you like um you tried to shake up your life and do something authentic rather than like live this kind of a polite farce where you just kind of go with the flow all the time and you go along with everyone and you basically end up living this bullshit life. I think she says use BS, at least in the Crunchyroll sub. And, Co- uh, coast along, basically. Yeah, yeah. And like you end up hating other people because you feel kind of trapped into into this kind of coasting along. And you end up disliking who you've become and all this other stuff. And, and it's this whole monologue about um, living... Uh, this falsehood of going along and getting along and then after all that when he goes to take her picture the whole reason he wanted to take her picture for this like punk album of his buddy is because she's being so kind of forthright and she's got like the dark cloak on and she's sort of brooding um but like she gives like this fake ass smile for the picture after all that, she, her yeah. being on the album cover. It's like just this little um, moment of like auto- her automatically like swerving back into artifice, and uh, it really just uh, I thought it was really well done, and uh, the expression on Rico's face after taking the picture was really great. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to Rico as well, like, that that's the best he can come up with for a picture, just the opportunistic, like, you know, moment with Haru. I mean, okay, yeah, she is pretty metal. She's got a crow on her shoulder. Yep, that's that's pretty cool. Reminded me for some reason, it made me think of the uh, of Lawrence Fishburne's character from John Wick, the King of the Beggars, who's like the master of pigeons. You know, she's totally going to be part of some assassin society. I, I want to see the show take a lean into that. Uh, but no, um... I, I definitely do agree. Like, the conversations in general in this episode were all really, really interesting to listen to. Uh, and I appreciate in particular how it isn't willing to, you know, sugarcoat Rico's actions. Like, no, you are self-depreciating because you don't want to, you know... Because then that way, if you are hurt, like, well, you've already hurt yourself. Like, you know, you can't... It doesn't sting as much. And I was like, well, shit, am I being subtweeted here? God damn it, show. You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I... There's a thing about the idea of photographs, though, that I think is now a good time to discuss, which is I absolutely adore how this episode portrays memory. And I think that that photograph in particular that's taken of Haru, uh, it won't simply just be for the album cover. I think that that will be relevant later. Okay. Um, 
because of how the show handles memory and also hindsight. There's a very specific scene I want to talk about firstly to illustrate this, and it's I think that whoever came up with this is a genius because I think they nailed how self-depreciating people, myself included, uh, reflect on uh, what are genuine moments of trying to reach out and reassure someone or give them encouragement. Mm. Um, the scene I'm referring to specifically is the second one in the locker room at the convenience store uh, between Rikuro and Kinoshita, in which he um, is talking about being in the band. And there is a cut, a deliberate cut, um, from the conversation which follows in real time as the show presents it, uh, to uh, Rico like taking his bike and then recollecting the end of that conversation, basically becoming an unreliable narrator for it, hmm. uh, where he says it was, um, I think it was something like meaningless optimism or something to that effect. Um, and I really appreciate how that cut was used to help divide these two moments together, even though in terms of like actual time, they were contiguous with each other. Because I do think that, you know, like for a lot of people, again, myself included, oftentimes, there, you know, when there are moments when people will try to offer you genuine support or enthusiasm, like, hey, you got this or something like that. You know, you can do this. Like, I think that um, the specific comment was Kinshi saying like, hey, I'm no different than you or something to that effect. And yet Rico, like, he can only look at it through hindsight with his own, like, you know, inner toxic, like, lens of, like, oh, I didn't really mean that. Like, he couldn't take mm-hmm. it as given. Right. Like, everything in that conversation up to that point he took as given because he's not recollecting it later. We're seeing it from that kind of omniscient perspective that happens in fi- in television. But then later it is very specifically Recro's recollection that happens after that specific jarring cut that makes that, you know, to him walking his bike away. Well, wow. <laughs> sorry. I think I think Abby was agreeing with me on that point. Definitely. I was like, rough, rough, great, great Definitely. point. Yes. Yeah, she is a fan of that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. And yeah, I really, really like it for that. I think the show, I mean, there's other moments I'll mention, particularly the flashback uh, with Shinako. Um, but I think the show does a phenomenal job at like portraying how that how people do think like that. Um and I think it's also fair to say that it also doesn't make that necessarily a good thing. I mean, to go back to NHK for a moment. The way in which NHK portrayed uh, Sato's own inner monologues um, was often through his appliances coming to life. And it was very jokey comedy stuff, which I would have to rewatch to, like, offer a judgment on that. I mean, I can offer, like, say, judgments on the, you know, stuff I've already mentioned, or even the things that I now remember definitively happening, like uh, Sato's relationship with the lead female character that, in hindsight, not so much. The comedy stuff, I would definitely need to rewatch. But, like... The, the sobriety in which um, Yeste approaches this subject matter, I think is to its benefit because it doesn't portray any of this as a good thing. Like, I can mm. recognize um, even myself, like, you know, as someone who feels there's a bit of overlap between myself and Rico, like, no, him looking at that moment where um, Kenoshisa was trying to offer him encouragement by essentially equating, like, their situations and saying, hey, I'm I'm no one special either, you know, I'm not trying to pretend I'm anyone great because I am doing this stuff with the band and whatnot, or because, you know, uh, of everything I've said. Like, I think that because it does portray us separately, I think it's, and it's surprised, it's sober nature in doing so, um, I think it does make it clear that what he's doing is not healthy, and that, that is to its benefit that it's doing that, in my opinion. Totally. Yes, and it's like you're talking about all this, and I'm like, oh my god, like I just totally missed this wavelength, like this reading here. So I'm gonna have to like go and recheck out this scene because that seems extremely uh, 
interesting and apparently is very subtle because again it just totally over my head um when i was watching it this afternoon uh speaking of flashbacks like what did you think of um haru's ones like they seem to have their own aesthetic style like well well this is this was basically to make me talk now in length about how i read a recall zone flashback with shinako because there is a very clear distinction between the two uh between his and haru's that is and it almost made me question his character and his intentions with regards to shinako um, so to just give some context here folks like I firstly want to note the animation style uh, of the show in general in that it is very very well not very very rough but rather there is a roughness to the lines and such that makes everything feel a little fuzzy uh, in addition I don't know if this is necessarily true or not um, but I think a lot of the scenes particularly those of the, of the convenience store are filtered stocks photos for backgrounds or at least they look that way mm. mm-hmm mm-hmm um, but this roughness, I think, is, again, to the show's benefit because it is also talking a lot about memories and, pa- and the past and such. And it also adds, it lends it a little bit of a grittiness that helps with its subject matter. Like, it's not, this stuff is not meant to necessarily be pleasant to uh, digest, shall we say. Um, but yeah, the flashback with Shinako, though, like, is presented entirely differently where if I described, you know, like I described the convenience store backgrounds as Photoshop filters, Shinako's flashbacks, or rather the flashbacks of Rico about her, are all Photoshop filtered. Like, that has had some pass-through. That has had some feathering <laughs> done, I'm telling you. Um, I don't even remember what they look like. What do they look th- like? They're, they're very... Well, the first thing to note is that they are, say, very wev- like feathered um, without very many strong lines in them. But additionally, there is very little movement in them. Shinako, like, basically stands in place during the flashback and uh, says her things. Do so you remember uh, his moments? And... <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and then we get like panel in panel stuff and such, which makes things feel very segmented. Oh, so that was there too, because I definitely remember with Haru the panel in panel, like because you would get like very like comic booky, like the very heavily like inked, and uh, it, it was just like uh, and the like very limited colors, like maybe two or three colors, like and a lots of like white. And then you would like yeah. have the panels overlaid, like you'd see a big panel, and then to illustrate motion, you'd have like three vertical panels appear from right to left, and then yeah, it felt like a manga in that way that Scum's Wish did it. Yes, you that if you know what's funny, I remember when I uh, discussed Scum's Wish way back when. I similarly felt that the show's pastel colors like gave it a kind of lurid quality, which I think helped its subject matter. And I think that's in much the same way that the way this is done um, uh, also helps as well. But yeah, Shinako's the flashback of Shinako, like the it feels very fuzzy, and I think mm. that's such a great way of depicting like memory. Totally. But I also think it really shows like how Rico is holding on to this particular moment. Yes. Um, like in his mind as like the idealized um, memory that he has of his time with Shinako um, and that ultimately then leads him making his decision to confess his crush to even though like he's literally only seen her like for the first time in however long like are you really mean to tell me he's been keeping that flame burning all this time and it's not just opportunistic I think that the way this is portrayed like leads me to think that he genuinely didn't feel that strongly for her hmm now, I know that this makes it sound like I'm bagging on him a little bit, and I kind of am. But at the same time, 
I think that it goes to show like that maybe it was destined to fail to begin with because he was doing it not necessarily because he absolutely wanted a, like a proper relationship with her. Like, you know, he was like, no, I genuinely do want this. But I think more because he felt like it was a quick and easy way for him to make, make a definitive action like we discussed. Yeah. And I think the me- I think the memory and the fuzziness of that, that that's all he has. And he can't even remember like the minutiae of like movements and such and behavior. I mean, if you if you think I'm over exaggerating this, just compare like how the show itself pre- presents like the discussions they have of all the body language to how the flashback with Shinarko is very plain. There's very little to it in terms of body language and movement. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, that alone I thought was phenomenal stuff in terms of like giving us insight to Rico's like character and how he actually feels about her, uh, and also like the fact that that's all he really has in terms of memory. But I think it's also true. Like memory is fuzzy and mutable, and it's not you know impervious to you know time. There's been studies done, for example, that if let's say just to put a hypothesis, let's say you have a really good friendship with someone for a year, and then suddenly uh, they like. For that year, uh, you have a great time with them. You're always doing stuff. Everything's wonderful. Nothing to play about. And then they do something incredibly shitty at the end of it. Or even when I say that, that doesn't even necessarily need to be true, by the way. You perceive it to be that way, perhaps. It could literally have happened or it couldn't. This is all very abstract. But I have read studies that show that in hindsight, as that because that incident happens, your memories are retroactively tainted. Suddenly something you thought was a really great moment with that particular person isn't anymore. It was all right. It was okay. So the show, I think, through its presentation of these memories is doing a really, really solid job of showing like how Riku's own like memory is kind of moth-eaten. And I think that it's to his and also shows that maybe his intentions aren't entirely as honest as even he perhaps thinks they are. So, yeah, that moment alone is great. Mm-hmm. But then you mentioned about Haru's memories, and they're much more crystal clear. And I think that in turn shows her, like, you know, holding on to that as a, like, you know, someone that she really is quite fond of. That even if she plays, like, very happy-go-lucky and maybe not quite so serious, like, you know, like how she said about, like, confessions and all that, you know, and how, and lies and all that. I think that that speaks to how genuine her feelings are for Ikuro, even if they are based on a memory that she had from when she was much, much younger, like, that she's carried, like, over the cusp of adulthood, you know? She was, like, 12 at the time, wasn't she? If I remember Something correctly. Like that, yeah. I, don't, I yeah, forget she was how very, old she very is young. now. Um, she says she's in college, so I'm going to assume that she's 17 or 18. Well, that was totally a lie, right? Like, her Tokyo U. I mean, like, he... Dude didn't believe it, because he was like, you're in high school. We need to check this, because this is important. I think that Shinako also mentions, like, because of the relationship that they had. But then again, Shinako's only been a teacher for a short well, time, but why, That's true, yes. And why why would a university kick you out for a job that you have at a bar? Whereas a high school... Oh, no, school, I mean, I, no, 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 I mean, I mean like, oh, I think that she that, says, yeah. like... Uh, yeah, she, she says, like, at the t- now I'm at university, but that was a thing in the past, so... But I do think she is, like, at least a couple of years younger than Rico. No, that is absolutely the case. I just want to know how much. All right, so I'm Googling it. Um, Google. Furious Googling intensifies. Doc has become Hackerman. All right. So I'm over here at my computer. It's far away from my microphone. I'm looking at mm-hmm. characters on Mal. Come on, Mal. Don't fail me now. Haru Nonoka. Meanwhile, while Doc's Googling that, I just want to say, if you want to know how gritty this anime is, like, Rikuo is not even using an e-cigarette. 
Like, you know, he just smokes regular tobacco because he's hardcore. Give me all that lung cancer. Although, to be fair, E6s recently have also been shown to be quite dangerous in themselves, it seems. So, uh, fun times for all. So, um, it does not have her, it does not have her age, but it does mention that she is a high school dropout. So. Well, we'll just go with the fact that she was born in 1990X. You know, she, she's got, she's Mega Man age, you know, Mega yeah. Man years. Well, I think this is important because, like, you know, depending on how old she is, like, that sort of, you know, the older she is, the wider the scope of possible outcomes that I think are acceptable becomes for her and Rikuo to, like, mm-hmm. not to end up, but, like, just things to happen throughout the course of the show. If she's a currently high school age student, it's it's a minefield. I'm not saying it's an unwalkable minefield. I think it's possible for them to to navigate this um and not become weird. Uh but, but still, remain well, complicated. Storytelling opportunity. It's still a storytelling opportunity regardless. Totally. Um, you know? Yeah. We we don't gain anything from not having these like difficult subjects to discuss, and that's certainly something I think yesterday is gonna lead into quite hard. Um so yeah, like this show I mean the photographs are a big deal in the show as well. Like uh Rico has a corkboard uh full of photographs. And I think that the understanding I have is that he did in some way want to be a photographer, but either because he just didn't have the motivation to do so or because the opportunity didn't come up. I mean, I've been discussing this elsewhere, but like I think that a lot of what yesterday is coming at is like how people have this kind of like, you know, fear that, oh, I've not lived up to my full potential. I've certainly felt that a lot. I still feel that sometimes. Um, But this is why memory is important because it's with hindsight that we think that. Um, But obviously our memory is not complete. And to me, like, you know, let's say if you did want to become a famous photographer or even a successful one, like, I think that as there is with a lot of things, you need certain stuff and that is talent you need to actually know what you're doing with photography for example like or any profession or hobby for example but you also need opportunity be the greatest fucking photographer in the world and if you're putting stuff up on say instagram or whatever and you simply aren't getting noticed for whatever reason it doesn't matter how good your stuff is uh, you won't be noticed you'll be ignored so i think that that is um a big part of it and i think that's a big part of what's happened with rico here where it's a little bit from column a and a little bit from column b he's still like in much of the way that he holds a candle somewhat for shinako he still takes photographs himself he has that court board and i think it's very telling how in his apartment despite it being your pretty standard you know pigsty for anime characters right. although granted it isn't um uh, why can i not remember a, a name mess that transcends what's the name of, time <laughs> what's the name of the um What's the name of the uh, pink-haired girl from Gridman? I really should know. Oh gosh, this. I can't remember either. I love Gridman. You, you all know who yeah. you you know all know who I'm referring to. Like her apartment is a fucking like her apartment is basically a landfill site. <laughs> the main ca- yeah the the end it is is pretty yeah. is pretty bad. Yeah. And NHK had moments where Sato's uh, own apartment similarly looks like a complete wasteland. I mean, like. You'd figure, like, you know, if you, it was almost like a scene from a Bethesda game where you walk in there and start losing it for cats. Oh, to be, that's to how be bad fair to Rico, I've seen worse in, an, in oh, anime. Yeah, it's, I, it's nothing compared to, as you say, um, the Gridman. I've seen worse in real life. And oh, I'm not in real talking life, about I mean, my that's own. a whole other I, yeah. 
I've not even seen, and by the way, uh, believe this uh, if you will or you won't, but I'm not referring to my own living arrangements in the past. I have at least been somewhat clean throughout most of my life. Um, God, some shit I've seen in some student houses, though, Jesus Christ. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, like, I think that that, I think that he's still holding a flame out for the photography thing. Um, yep. And that, and that's organized court border photographs um, is like a good sign of that, particularly in contrast to his apartment, which is a complete mess. But the thing about photographs, of course, is that they are a very specific moment, a very specific point in time that is captured. And that's why it ties into the whole depiction of memory here. Um, but even then, you know, we look at a photograph like, you know, and like say, oh God, I've just had Nickelback pop in my head. Fuck! Sweet Jesus, why did you do it? I wasn't no, even thinking about it. I couldn't it. help it. I couldn't even, I couldn't help it. Like, just mentioned <sighs> photograph and then like, next thing you know, just got Chad Kroger's voice in my mm-hmm. head and I just want the sweet taste of death. <laughs> you know, give me, give me, give me that sweet Nexa, please, Grim Reaper. Take my life. Oh, oh God. Right, okay, like, moving on. We're walking, we're walking, we're walking. Uh, but like, I'm actually looking, funnily enough, at the ending frame of um, the close of the of the closing for this episode, and it shows the photograph of Haru with the crow on her shoulder. But like, even though that is a specific shot in time, like you know, and unless you want to start arguing like the whole you know dress is blue gold shit, like, and we can get into the philosophy of perception and all that, like we can all agree that's a picture of Haru smiling with a crow sat on her shoulder. I think that's fair to say. Then what's beyond that? What's the context of that, you know? Uh, are we going to see the context of that photograph change as the episode goes, uh, sorry, as the show goes along to the point where Rico's, like, you know, done something and, like, I wish you'd never taken that photograph someday. Like, he looks back as, uh, in the way that I said, like, you know, that memory warps because of current context and events. Like, how you suddenly look back and, like, maybe you aren't quite as fond of a person or maybe even more fond of it. Like, you know, he looks at the photograph like, I thought I really liked it, but now seeing this, I realize why I was missing all this time. Like, even that is mutable. Even even in, you know, mm-hmm. this relative security of photographs as an objective point of time, you know, context is still very key. I've probably waffled a lot here, but like, there's so much to unpack from this uh, depiction of like what's going on in Rico's life and how the show is tying together photographs and memory that it's really, really fascinating and interesting, even if the subject matter is quite dour and there are those red flags that we mentioned. And I think that I probably by proxy also somewhat answered Emily's question as a result because yeah there is a lot of great um technical qualities in this episode as she says um and I probably not even covered like half of them the only technical part that I felt like was rough and this is not anything I actually hold against the show but I just wanted to bring it up the title card I thought looked cheap as fuck <laughs> comic sans <laughs> you went you went whoever subsides you went with fucking comic sans for this show Really, even without that, fucking, like little bar or whatever. Fucking just, yeah. really. Uh, um, what? What next? Are you going to put it in Wingdings? Uh, that would be an. You know, that little plane icon. <laughs> oh, fuck's so sake. I think that there's like there's a lot of reasons, a lot of things about this show that are promising. Um, and to touch on what you were saying, I think one of them is like the different emotional levels that are revealed and then it's operating on. Like a lot of times in a show, we just sort of get like what is and then what the characters are feeling and the characters feelings are pretty transparent to us and like and themselves uh but in this show um there's sort of that uh, an added level of there's not just sort of what their feelings are um but there is 
their own understanding of their feelings or what the what the, mm-hmm. then that's imperfect like how they think they feel do they know how they feel like do, does yeah. what they're th- if i may if i may interrupt just to yeah. uh go with that point you're saying there like you know i said before about the whole idea that uh Rico, like may have not had the best of intentions in confessing to Shnarko, given his memory of her is so very static and cherry picks even shall we say mm-hmm. You know, but also still very worn. It, like, you know, that candle, if it is burning all this time, it can be burning very brightly. But when I say he doesn't have the best of intentions, that doesn't necessarily mean he's cognizant of those. Like, you know, sometimes we do stuff like, and we think it's for the best reasons, but it really isn't. It's not like he's being actively malicious. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's what I mean by that in terms mm-hmm. of that. But like, he's still fucking up by doing it, of course. But it's very different than just, well, I'm going to confess to Shinako just to fuck with her. Like, he's definitely not doing that. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, it is his his kind of myopic thoughtlessness that is an issue, and people might kind of see that as, like, the overwhelming the entire story. But, as you say, like, I don't think he's being malicious. And, yeah, I mean, there's just that extra, like, dimension, like, there's, um, that, that that's going on, right? Like, and you mentioned like perception. So there's this added element of subjectivity to things like memory, like, and perception is this concrete thing in this show, like that we need to pay attention to. And we need to pay attention to what the characters say and think about, like think us, the audience need to think about, does it, um, does what they say, uh, how does that like align with what they're doing? Um, hmm. how, how, you know, do they, you know, like you because as you say, like the confession scene, right? She, she turns him down. We see that look in her eye, which is like, what a great scene, great bit of directing. That, like, as he is spilling his feelings and as he's about to get to very personal. I love, part. by the way, just just to add it as well. I love, by the way, that we get that close up shot of his hands as he's fidgeting. Yeah. The the body language on display in a lot of this show is very, very good. Like, I mean, I sh- probably don't need to repeat this to you, the listener, but, like, body language makes up so much of our, you know, communication. I've actually, on podcasts before, even before we were live streaming, like, gesticulated, like, you know, I'm moving my hands around mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, I'm doing it even right now. Uh, even when it is completely and utterly impossible for someone to know that I'm doing it, I am still doing it. And I think it's good when shows actually lean into that and make that a thing. Not to the point where it's so obnoxious, like, you know, that they're constantly moving around. But at the same time, like, how many shows can you think of where characters are talking to each other and they're just stood completely like statues? Yeah. Too many, in my opinion. So good on Yesterday for showing that moment where, as I say, that leans into my idea that he's not doing it maliciously, even if his intentions aren't necessarily the best. Because it clearly is a big thing for him to do it just from the body language. Like, that's the most telling thing that we have for that. Yeah. I just think the the boy just does not understand how he feels or women. Mm. or But, like, um, but, yeah, like, uh, gosh, what was I saying? Um, what was I talking about? Uh, oh, shit. Help me out here. What were uh, we uh, talking the, the, about? It was a god. Um. Oh, the the I'm direction. So, so. No, it's okay. Um, I've got it. I've got it now. Um, that Whew. that really great bit of directing at the confession scene when it's sort of yeah. slowly panning up 
his body as he's got this really determined look on his face. He's like, I'm telling you how I feel. And then it cuts to, as, as he's talking, uh, just her left eye it, taking up the majority of the shot. And you see it's watery. You see it's intense. She's very vulnerable. She doesn't have to say anything, but this like look that she has shot him, you hear like the sound. It's like, it's almost like, you know, the, the sound is the sound of that look. The look is so intense. Yeah. It is making a sound. And it is say like, please don't go on. Please don't go on. I, because I don't want to have to like directly confront and talk about the feelings you're about to say. Um, and that was like, that was so great. I mean, I just, yeah, I just think that, uh, and, and you've got his uh, kind of ennui and depression. And I think Shinako is going to um, have feelings revealed to be in a similar ballpark. I mean, I hope we get stuff from the lady's point of view. I don't know if we're going to. Um, I'm sure manga readers already know, but like... Um, what I In that vein, what I would like to see and I strongly suspect it won't happen, but it would be nice if it did, is the reason I mentioned before about how this seems weighted in favor of Recro's, like, you know, overall benefits and such is, that's not me, like, merely speculating. That is that is literally within the construction of the show because we have his in the monologue. Exactly. Which we don't, exactly. as I recall it, have for either uh, Harry Definitely or Definitely not. Nope. nope. So, you know what would be neat? If on a per-episode basis, we had a switch. So, like, say episode two. <clears throat> apologies um haru like you know she's now the one with the inner monologue and then episode three is shinako like i mean come on i'm gonna reference it again as i i bang this penguin drum so many times but it does it because it's a good show like how many times in penguin drum did other characters have the time to have inner monologues I know. like shifting the focus to make it be about them i think would be definitely to yesterday's favor and again i think that would also be because the benefit of an inner monologue is that you are talking directly to us without relaying information to characters in the show proper. There is a distinction between what the characters are willing to tell us as the invisible audience, you know, in a very dramatic sense, versus what they're willing to tell each other, uh, yeah. which creates tension and makes for interesting, you know, drama. And I th- so yeah. I think that, like, yeah, I think that laying Haru and Shinako in on that, at the very least, would be to the show's benefit. And I, th- I think that there's enough episodes. God, I mean, I say that without knowing the manga. Um, I, it feels like there are enough episodes where if you did something like that, even if you had, you know, a like 60-40 or 70-30 split between the man and the ladies in terms of the, the point of view episodes, you could... Because I know the show, I, I, the, what it's established in this first episode, I, I really strongly feel like the show is most interested in exploring Rikuo's fear, depression, ex- you know, existential problems, anxiety, like those kinds of things um, through his relationship with these people. So it feels like, it really does feel like it's interested in him chiefly, but you have so many episodes. Like you could, you could, you could work that out. You don't feel like you, you could, um, I don't feel like you'd be shortchanging that story by giving, some more of uh, some of the the screen time, uh, some of the central focus to like the inner lives of 
these female characters. And again, I'm just like, this is just me as an anime only person talking who's only seen this one episode. So and this yep. is probably going to annoy people who've read the manga. And be like, who cares? What are you talking about? You're talking about something that doesn't exist. Whatever. That's fine. Um, <laughs> All right. Um, we still need to answer Emily's question, but I actually want to also throw in something from you, Kanon, who he had mentioned um, in uh, the chat about this show, um, which I think is really important for context because I'm not going to necessarily try and excuse Rico's failure to make something more of himself. Not entirely. Um, as much as I said before that there's a need for talent and opportunity, um, there is also motivation, and certainly he seems to have been somewhat lacking in that. For reasons that I can understand, because it is difficult to truly want to define yourself as an adult. Like, you have to make hard choices to become a person. Um, that I agree with. And indeed, this is why I also think it's important that we have Kinoshita, who, like, Kinoshita, I'm actually going from point to point here, ricocheting around mm-hmm. here because I'm realizing more stuff, so I apologize for how haphazard and scattershot this seems, but the thing that I think is important about Kinoshisa being in the show is, in terms of current professions, they are equivalent. They both work at the same store. But what's different is that there is a clear distinction between a profession and a hobby. I mean, look at ourselves, Doc. Like, you know, you and I, we work full-time jobs, but we are both podcasters. That is the thing that I think you and I ideally would prefer to be known as, or at least as critics or people who like to talk about anime. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something we do. We act upon that. We get ourselves out there. And Kinoshita, in turn, like, you know, he's a band member. And he's actually getting the process of putting a band together and getting an album out. I think it's Snow White, actually, is the name on the cassette tape. Nice. Um, Which is good. But is Rikuro, like, actually doing anything with uh, his photography apart from keeping it for himself? It doesn't seem so. Uh, yeah, I don't even know if it's risen to the level, if, if he's allowed it to rise to the level of a passion. You know, because I wouldn't, yeah. Kinoshita, like, punk rocks, he's passionate about it, like being in a band and this stuff. Music, right? This is, um... Even, even what he wears, like, yes. he looks distinct. It's like, yeah, it, um... It, it is Leather part jacket of, like... Good cut, by the way. Totally. It's part of who he is, right? And, like, uh... Our boy, uh... Doesn't have anything like that, and... I think... I, I do... I... I I'm happy that we see him, uh, like, have the camera and kind of Kenosha like, knows that he's someone who takes good photos and thinks about, like, you know, considers him kind of a photographer, in a manner of speaking, at least an amateur one. Um, so he really isn't, like, just this, like, archetype, like, lazy anime character that is often sort of shown in comedies, like, someone who has just totally blank and no no likes or whatever, like, he has things that he could do um, that that feels like he has an interest in um, that could become passions if he would allow himself to do it, but for whatever reasons that we'll find out, like, he's afraid to truly commit and put himself out there and i mean i think that like you can you can kind of uh make some uh informed guesses as to why by how he talks about working at the convenience store you know it's part-time so i don't have to take it really seriously if i don't like it i can quit it's not a really big commitment i haven't made a whole like investment of emotions and money and everything into some kind of career my boss will not expect a lot from me you know so he is afraid to have a sort of a career, like a, a life thing, 
obligations where yeah he has to pressure exactly where he has to answer to clients like there are higher stakes where he's invested his life and himself into something and if he fails like it's not as simple as walking away from a convenience store job like and all that shit is scary um don't get me wrong like it's the fear is real um Mm. but like yeah but i think that is uh we could probably safely safely guess here this is why he's not like really going after photography he doesn't does not want to commit to it yeah i mean also in you know photography is one of those things much like writing or podcasting or even where once you create it it's out there in the world yeah and that too you can you can you imagine looking at that and thinking god that sucks but then again you know we're all very, often very self-depreciating about the quality of our output. I certainly am. Um, I've discussed that before. But anyway, to get back to Yukonon's uh, facts here that was revealed, um, this, this I think is important to give some context to what's going on because, I mean, just to reiterate, I know it sounds like a daft thing to point out, but uh, Yesterday is set in Japan and in real life. And you might say, well, what the hell? Why are you pointing that out? Of course it is. Um, but according to what Yukonon has told me here, the manga ran from 1997 to 2015. Golly. Now, I'm bringing that up not because of the time, monthly, like, you, the amount of years. You know if it was monthly? Of, sorry, I'm sure it was monthly. I I don't know. Um, but the point I'm bringing this up for is not to simply say, wow, that was a long time, but consider those years and consider what was happening in Japan during those years. You had the lost decade that happened in Japan, for example, um, which I'm currently looking at on Wikipedia, which was really started between 1991 to 2000, um, but then has actually been expanded to include everything up to and including 2010, and we all know what was going on around that time. Um, Basically where the economy just, like, you know, deflated like a lead balloon, um, and it left people, like, you know, in bad place, like, you know, temporary work being the main thing. Um, I think uh, Emily herself actually mentioned this in her article, if I recall correctly, but it's definitely worth bringing up that this story... It was written in the context of not one, but two recessions. Um, yeah. So it'd be remiss of me not to point that out and how that has likely played some part in Rico's like life in some respects or another. Whether or not the show will lean more heavily into looking into that is a different matter entirely. I mean, it's not something I would expect it to bring up right away, unless it was one of those opening text crawl things, which I don't think would have worked for the show whatsoever. Um, we know we know what that's about none... now. We we out here. <laughs> we oh, it's, it's don't even say jobs jobs be falling by the wayside. <laughs> there are well, I well I graduate well I graduated from university at the end of two thousand and eight. So whoops. Yeah, oh, I was dear. in grad that school. That was that was yeah yeah yeah. That was unfortunate. Ooh. Um, but in much the same way that I say that you know like that also simply wasn't you know the sole or even the major reason for my own life turning out the way it did. So just to put that out there, so I'm not pretending to be anyone special here. Um, but yeah, um, times, I think that's maybe. something we're going to need hard times. I think that's something we're going to need to pay attention to as the show goes along. That it very clearly was written with that in mind. I mean, note for example that you know, uh, Kinoshita has got um, a cassette tape. It's not an, uh, yeah. it's not in my opinion, as, as I see it, uh, you know, an anachronism, uh, just for the sake of being kitsch. Uh, no, also, no one has any cell phones. Mm-hmm. Like, it clearly seems to be set, at least it's, it's the 90s, the, like, mid to late 90s, yeah. 
mid to late 90s and that's in the middle of all this uh, terrible shit going on with the lost decades so that i will be curious to see if it plays a part or not in what um in the story and how rico came to be how he is um do you have any other points to throw out there dot before we get around to answering emily's question mm, do i i don't think so Okay, uh, I'm good as well, so let's tackle this head-on then. Uh, just to reiterate, because it has been a while since we've been talking, here's the question as it stands. There is a lot to like about the first episode of Yesterday, and a lot of potential red flags, which, as my own aside, I hope we've given some justice to covering both of those elements. How much did the technical qualities of this first episode assuage any fears, if you had any, of the narrative setup? This is an interesting thing to ask because it feels to me like one of those chicken and egg scenarios, which is where, you know, do, is the if the show does indeed truly lead into those red flags and becomes deeply problematic, is that then made even worse because it is that good in depicting the things we've discussed about? Or is that in spite of it? Like, do the technical qualities actually play into those fears, funnily enough, uh, rather than assuage them? It's going to depend on how it's portrayed. Um, and I think that we could then also potentially talk a little bit about the side of production, like, you know, the script writing versus storyboarding, how much of these are truly intertwined. Um, I mean, if you've reached, I know this isn't anime, but like, um, I think it's Bobby's Parasite, for example, like heavily storyboard, like he, he does storyboards for everything, but he's also heavily involved in the, as I understand it, the script writing. So he's directly got his thumbs in both pies. Is that true for this production? I can't say. Um, to try and not be too wishy-washy about the answer and give something more definitive um, and I think this is actually going to tie into my answer as to which show we're going to cover spoiler alert <laughs> or at least which show I want to cover specifically um, I think that this show's technical qualities are very strong indeed I think that it's clear that even as I mentioned from the very beginning the fact that we're willing to do 18 episodes rather than the 12 or 24 we would otherwise see it suggests to me that they have a story they want to sell and they're going to use the tools that they feel are appropriate to do so. But I think that as a result of that, rather than them necessarily assuaging my fears, which I must admit are there, but I'm not so worried about them right now necessarily, but rather than assuaging them, I think that they might actually bring up the show's problems more into the fore as a result um, by accident um, or even by intent be, necessarily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um I don't know if that's necessarily a great answer, I believe, but I think that in turn, it's going to be one of those things where I like to say it's chicken or egg, you know, like do the technical qualities precede the problems or are they, do they exacerbate the problems? You know, how does that necessarily work? We'll have to see as we go along. Uh, but for the most part, the fact that it is willing to do these things in the first place, like the cut that I mentioned that to me was the highlight of the episode's depiction of memory. Um, that alone, it to me makes it interesting to keep tr covering provided that you know the material rises to meet the rest of the material rises to meet the quality of the presentation and also tries to avoid these pitfalls i mean much as we say like for example that this anime was adapted from a manga from 1997 to 2015 you are still in creative control to make the adaptational choices necessary to take those problems out and if it is ultimately going to lean into it just simply be well you know He's going to hook up with the kooky one. It's going to be great. And he's not even going to necessarily get a new job, but he'll be fine because he's, you know, I mean, that's the MMO junkie ending, which I mentioned uh, many times, which I still have issues with. Like, oh, you know, Marioka got with um, Sakurai and that's all really great and all that. Does she still have a job? 
no, we're not going to address that in the slightest. Why would we do that? Why would we in any way imply that she's going to become self-reliant rather than her, you know, using him as a bank? <laughs> do, you, do you think... Uh, I still like that show, by the way. Do you think she'll walk into this convenience store to buy a game card? Do you think we'll have a crossover mm. moment? <laughs> I would love that if that was just like a... a, a if that was just like siphoning, but then again, it is 1997, so the oh, only God, uh, you're right. RPG that's probably around <laughs> that no time MMO. is EverQuest. <laughs> Did that oh, even no. exist at that point? I think it had literally just come out wow. from my memory. Fa- failing that, we'll go even older. We'll say Ultima Online. Just like... Yeah, I'm, I'm old. Oh, I'm very old, I know. <laughs> text messages to each other on our PBS. Um, so, uh, I think rather than... Um, well, you know what? Let me take a step back. Uh, so I do uh, talk about a lot of times on this show, like how I feel like all media is problematic in one way or another, or many ways. And um, even if it's not apparent when it releases, oftentimes uh, time and, and distance does the work of revealing those problems. Um because we're imperfect and we're always evolving and learning both as individuals and as a species, a culture. And we look back on, you know, dodgeball and we can see as you pointed oh my, out. Are we breaking that up again? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe you're using dodgeball in serious literary analysis. Only because we talked about it earlier. Um, are you sure? Are you sure I can't start drinking at this time in the morning? You can. You're allowed. I, I allow it. Oh, it feels it feels so wasteful <laughs> though. But I feel like I'm going to need it after this. Um, We're using dot. No, no, carry no, on. No, I'm going to beat myself. Um, while I laugh. Yes. So I, I talk about it a lot, and and it's also okay to like problematic things, right? Like it's because media just is this way. You're you're going to like problematic things, and sometimes you're going to like very problematic things that you know are are so and. Uh, this is where I'm putting my money where my mouth is, and I think this show has um, every chance in the world to be like problematic uh, to um, to some degree or other, uh, a little, a whole lot. Um, it's it's walking a fine line already. I think it's walking a tightrope. Um, but because. Uh, less of the technical qualities, which um, are kind of a separate thing for me, um, because it has gone to great lengths in my mind to establish that the three principles are very broken people. Um, they are. They have uh, failed. They have. I mildly disagree with that. On only in terms of it referring to Shinako, and I think that's just because I um, we haven't had enough time with her as of yet. Well, Doesn't what mean I mean that she is can't be- like. Well, she she has um, she has failed, and it has been very difficult for her. We saw how crestfallen she got when Haru appeared because it made her recall this memory where she uh, has failed a student. Um, I apologize. I, I I was thinking too strictly in terms of career and not you say that specific moment, which you are entirely right to put. So yeah, please ignore me. Carry on. <laughs> and I as yeah. you were well, and I think she you know um. I think the transfer to high school in her hometown will be revealed to be also kind of a uh, a step back career wise for her. Um, that is my prediction. Uh, so mm-hmm. I and and I think that they are all you know with our high school dropouts, 
uh, failure to start because careers or, or really real life because of, uh, you know, just a deep crippling anxiety about uh, commitment to and, and uh, risk, you know, or someone who did take those steps, but uh, experienced personal failure and professional failure and was hit hard by it. Like they're all kind of um, messed up from that. And I think they're going to, they have already started to be revealed and I think will continue to be revealed as fuck ups. And because all this has been established to me, um, then like the, the problem, uh, are okay. The prop, the problem, the, the problem are, it's, it's all right. Um, is, is that the next, is that the next Yoko Taro game near Problemata? Um, nice. it's, it's, you know, it's just going to be that. And it's going to be about, about fucked up people, uh, making probably some bad choices. Um, I mean, you say fucks up people, but one of them is literally the crow mother. <laughs> I'm not, you see, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> what, what an amazing turn the show would take if it turned out it was if, really oh, just God, a secret dad. Be... Like, like what was the, what was the name of that um, film with... Um, it was with Quentin Tarantino and... The Crow? It was the no. one that turned into... No, <laughs> no. no. It was, it's the one that turned into a... Um, no, it's from Dust Till Dawn. Dawn. That was vampire it. Movie. Yeah, yeah, the one which literally turns into a vampire film about 30 minutes in, even though it's a heist film. Yes. And everyone's like, wait, what, what the are, fuck? We're in a vampire film this? now? Um, <laughs> it just turns out that Haru's like a, a force of like, you know, ancient evil, like straight out of an Andres Patsky uh, novel. That would be great. I would be entirely all right with that, despite it not having anything <laughs> to do with the subject matter as shown thus far. They're all looking for things from each other and because of that they're going to miss each other and uh they're going to miscommunicate and misunderstand and screw up and there's going to be a lot of bad choices and some are probably going to be a little problematic you know the 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 haru x rikuo relationship like again they're walking a tightrope here but like because all this is set out here and everyone is such a mess like i'm 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 kind of okay for now with with some messiness like i there's nothing wrong with big disaster energy i i i think some yeah i think that they will be disasters and they will disaster each other and i kind of want to see that like i want to see want to see how it goes i mean i hope i i want them all to be well but i know that you know they are going to uh crash and burn a little bit i suspect before before that happens and and so the, I think the show does have a lot of technical merit. It is interesting that you pointed out that um, how that uh, kind of is interlaced with um, the show's potential red flags and everything. Um, I hadn't thought about it in that way. So that was very insightful. Um, but it's amazing what I can do early in the morning. <laughs> Clearly I need to do podcasts at five o'clock. We have to do it all the time. Yeah. Um, um, but, but I would mention as well, just to follow up what you said there about them wishing them well. I do too, but there are means and ways in which that should be gone about. Um, and there are certainly ways in which that should happen, or in which that happens that the show should avoid. Um, 
going back to those red flags we mentioned where oh it's okay she the the, the she he got with the kooky one. Oh no oh no or rather he got with the straight laced one who he realized was who he truly wants all along. He's not tempted by the wiles of this crow witch woman. Sure. Um, I think all that but, is p- still in potentia at this point. It's still like In potentia. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah, I think it's still in the ether like of possibility. It is um the the show has done enough for me to like sort of think like that it's better than that. Um, or, or at mm. least it aspires to be better than that, and it is not simply gonna, you know, be a, you know, a, a straight line train headed right for that destination, right? And so, um, I don't know. I'm pretty optimistic that uh, that we it won't be anything quite that uh, easy, and because again, I I just think the characters, I, I just I just think that there's more to them. And especially the young women, so I don't, I don't think that they're going to allow that as characters, at least not in the beginning. I mean, it could; they are potential red flags for a reason. So I can; it's definitely logically possible that like we could end up there. Um, but I'm not Sorry. worried. Yeah, I don't see them on the horizon, but I can conceptualize them. It's all right. Kid is going to end up dating Haru anyway, so it'll be fine. You know? <laughs> Heck yeah. Or what about the guy with Dark the... Ho- Dark horse. What about dude with the glasses? Uh, oh, well... Um, came in at the beginning. He is the real Dark Horse. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Uh, student Reunion. Yeah, there, yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, I... Well, I think that we actually had one other question that came in from Ines, just literally like at the 11th hour. Okay, okay. Um, we may have already potentially covered this in our discussion, but I'll bring it up anyway. Um... This may be, uh, how would you describe the mood and flow of yesterday? And I think that the word I would use, the one word answer I would give uh, to mood specifically is sober. Not a state I'm usually familiar hey. with, I grant you, but sober is, sober is the word I would use. Um, and I think that, generally speaking, it flows very well, like it's well-paced. Um, certainly a lot, as we've just, I mean, we've spent plenty of time discussing this now that I think there's a lot to unpack for good and for bad, um, or potentially bad even. Um in, in this episode so yeah um sober is the word i would use to describe it as and i think that that is the correct way to approach this subject matter now when i say that though i realized that there was welcome to hk which was in its own right you know serious at times uh for all its faults it did treat the suicide like you know cult thing with the due seriousness it deserved even if sato himself was a complete goofball through parts of it and also pig ignorant of the fact that that's what it was he thought it was a holiday retreat hit um but uh that's not to say like you know there are times when you can treat things with a bit more of a light-hearted you know touch but i think that you know tonally it's perfectly consistent throughout and i think it's handling it appropriately even though it does allow itself a little bit of like you know um an energetic verb to it with haru who in some way i got I know this sounds like a strange comparison, but I got kind of a Marco Maxina from Kill a Kill vibe from her. <laughs> not in the... And I'm not talking in the sense, like, you know, that she's just completely cuckoo crazy for Cocoa Puffs or anything like that. But more that she seems to be doing very much her own thing and not necessarily respecting the rules of the world around her. As opposed to... Well, I mean, the contrast between her and Shinako is as clear as fucking day, to be quite honest. Yeah, and this um, this is where the worry comes in for her, because... You know, like, have you ever seen the movie Garden State? I have not. So, no. 
pretty archetypical manic pixie dream girl natalie portman in that movie yeah and you're like, this is the worry that like oh she's gonna be that and come and uh be this sort of fix-all for uh a, a curative uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for panacea for all the problems with that's the, the one main character or whatever but like she just does not you seem that way to me does it did really it seems like they're going in a different direction than that with her yeah well, I suppose that the question you have to ask regarding her is this. Constru- as far as how she is constructed in- for the show, is her quirkiness for her own benefit as a character, something that is examined about her, uh, you know, so she's examined to be for it to be about her, or is her quirkiness exist really to benefit Rico? Mm. Like, from, th- from the terms of, like, how you write mm-hmm. it. We will have to ask that question as we go along, I suspect. Yeah, we'll see. Uh We'll see. Um, so, thank you for getting your question in there. Oh, yeah, Alice. I would say. Uh, sorry, but we just got to answer um, her. her oh, yes, yeah, sorry, that's yes, you're right. right. Uh, very quickly, I will say that um, I, if I had to mix, you you talked about Valhalla drinks. I'm gonna mix my own, uh, and I would use, uh, I would use probably half uh, a cup of melancholy. I would use about mm, a quarter cup of uh existential dread um i would use mm, maybe uh, a dash of nostalgia and uh shake and stir season six yes, that is what i would say the mood that is the mood and add plenty of karma train tons and tons of the stuff as much as you can we all remember that i mean what kind what can, i still love that what kind of bar is it where you order a drink and the server can decide how much alcohol goes into it that's great all right um but anyway thank you very much for your question Ernest, and thank you emily in turn for yours as well hopefully we gave you both good answers there um and in turn also i should uh thank kate for her question on kakushigoto as well mm-hmm. um because we're now coming towards the end of the podcast. I will mention, by the way, if you're catching this, you know, uh, two anime enter, one anime leaves beyond Thunderdome episode of Second Stream uh, in the public domain because it's now gone free to air, and you're thinking to yourself, hey, you know what? I'd like to make Shane and wake up at five o'clock more often. <laughs> So, no, I kid. If you want to actually uh, ask us questions about the shows we're covering, uh, be that listeners or what we'll decide shortly uh, for Second Stream. Uh, do check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Rory Desho. Show. Uh, got plenty of benefits there. You get yourself on the $2 tier for Discord access. Uh, the higher dollar tiers will get you access to asking us questions about the shows week on week. Uh, you can help us decide future second stream shows to cover, and hopefully they won't all end in ties. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can also uh, get in on... Uh, picking an anime for uh, us to cover for you specifically, like an essay format, that kind of thing. Plenty of good stuff there, so definitely do check it out. But, it's time. We need to decide. Uh, and I'm going to just, you know, completely ignore the tone and mood I set there and say I want to cover yesterday for the rest of the second stream for this season. I'm going to cut to the chase on this one. Because, here's why. Now, I'm not going to try and put Kushigoso down like at all i think it's a good show in its own right as presented but i think that in terms of like what we want to do like a straight-up comedy discussing that week on week is going to prove difficult because comedy is very subjective and i also have a fear that with kagushi goto all i'll end up saying is i'm tired of this joke i'm tired of this this gag because that's the gag it's, it's only really got one gag thus far which is um 
Goto massively overreacts to potential threat to his uh, secret being revealed to, you know, his daughter Hime. And it's a good gag, but I would not be up for do- dealing with it 12 episodes back to back. Um, if the show were willing to shift gears from being strictly comedy to more of an introspective, like hindsight, you know, I'm going to build up a new memory of my dad from his work kind of thing, then I'd be more into that. But I don't have any real hard evidence it's going to do that right now. Or if it is going to do it, it's not going to necessarily do it until much later in the show's run. On the other hand, with Yesterday, here's my thinking on this, right? It's going to sound like a strange metaphor, but like, if Yesterday does indeed have deep problems with it as it goes along, like, I want to throw myself into the fire to discuss them, Mm -hmm. rather than leaving them behind. Like, I think there's plenty to like about the show, but I think also in some strange kind of masochistic kind of way, like... We don't gain much from not covering these issues if they do indeed become genuine, proper, oh shit, we were right all along issues. You know, we don't get anything from ignoring them. Um, and it's not as simply like it was with Kabucho Sherlock, where I could literally point so this is transphobic cock bollocks, like this needs to be shot into the sun. Like the problems that we have here uh, with uh, yesterday deal with a lot of like, you know, particularly like I'd say, uh, young millennial cishet kind of like issues, like in percept, like you know, problems like that, um, like unraveling the issues if they come about, like you know, I'm saying why it's problematic in itself can I think be deeply informative, and you know, it would certainly be also informative for me as a person as well, given my own history. So you know what, like even if it does, you know, become a bit of a hodgepodge mess of oh shit, it really is leaning into the you know the whole kooky love triangle as a way of like you know soothing all the all the tears and blood and all that. Um, then I'm willing to throw myself into that for that reason because I think it'd be worth looking at and talking about. Um, and we certainly, I think, got more. Dis- I mean, just look at the base of what we discussed. Like we had a good talk about Kushigo, so don't get me wrong. But I would definitely say that uh, of the two, yesterday was the more rewarding chat to have. And and I feel like, um, and so I agree with you, by the way, I, I feel like there will be new things and more things to talk about week on week um, as we get deeper into the lives of these characters. Whereas, yeah, I can see, I, I can see the well running dry um, with uh, Kakushi Goto. Um, I can see enjoying it, but, um, but, you know, doing a podcast on it, you know, I mean, we haven't done a straight up comedy since MMO junkie. And even then there was like other things kind of going on there. And it did not make me, um, as uncomfortable. Uh, but you know, I I hope I don't sound hypocritical here because, um, while there are things about, uh, Kakushi Koto that make me uncomfortable, um, there, you know, like we talked about with yesterday, there are potential problems, but I'm, I don't know, I'm just ready. I, I feel like I'm in the mood for, I'm ready to throw myself into these uh, disaster characters. I mean, hell, if this is a show about um, uh, a young lady that has feelings for an older boy, you know, that is, uh, you know, too old for her, or, you know, maybe, maybe she's not even of legal age or whatever, but the feelings are there and mistakes are made, like, Yes, like I'm I'm in for that big mess. I want to like just I want to roll around in a big that big mess and experience um these broken people breaking and hopefully healing. Um really healing, not like band-aid healing. Um mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, uh, I I just think yeah, this will be the more 
interesting week to week discussion to have and one who's um you know dealing with a lot of uh issues that i like to think about and talk about and whose problems i'm just kind of more comfortable wallowing around in yep i'm in agreement so it's settled folks uh you know k <laughs> the win, the winner, the winner goes to yesterday, well, uh, which we will be covering. Uh, not mm. quite, because that would presume it to be a completely dominating match, which it wasn't. Like, I mean, much as we have picks yesterday, like Kagushi also does have plenty of merits on its own, and I will still continue to watch it uh, until such a point in which it might potentially, you know, turn me off it. But it's not a case of well, I saw the first episode and I can't be bothered anymore. Like, uh, God, I don't even remember the name. I watched this Isekai like first episode. The one where he has minty green, like, you know, magic powers or something like From that. From this season? He gets reincarnated. The... Yeah, I, whatever. It was Eighth Sun. Oh, that yeah, was I was going to say, go. I was going to start listing, like, Tower of God, Eighth Sun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't call it Seventh Sun because then they would have offended Terry Pratchett's estate. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so, yeah, I will still continue to look at it. I'll probably cover it on my Twitter, as a matter of fact. So do check that out um, as we go along. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's been decided we're going to cover yesterday. Um, and that otherwise, I think, brings us to the end of our little discussion here for Second Stream. Uh, you know, the inaugural episode of Two Anime Enter, One Anime Leaves, you know, the Bloodbath episode, the Rocket Arena one. Um, but thank you very much to everyone at home for listening. Um, as I say, check our Patreon if you uh, want to get involved on that. Uh, but for those of you who might be listening because it's gone free to air and want to support us in other ways, uh, that is great. Do check out, um, you know, our Twitter feed, check out our uh, Spotify, check out our Anchor.fm or our YouTube even. Drop us all the likes, follows, subscribe, shares. Let people know about it. Tell people about Warry Desho. Uh, and if you have any constructive feedback for us, you can send that to us at our Twitter as well, at Warry Desho. Um, Doc, where can people find you on the uh, wicked wide internet? So I am at the subtle doctor on Twitter. Um, please at me about uh, all anime opinions. Uh, that you feel are wrong and want to talk about um, or yell at me for having. Uh, On my Twitter bio, you can see the other fine podcasts that I uh, am a part of. And uh, give those uh, a look-see, or actually a listen-see, if you will. No, that, that's our listeners podcast, so you just go listen and see, you know. Uh, that that was one of the worst. You know, maybe I am getting tired now. Clearly, I should go back to bed. <laughs> Sleep forever. Think about the awful pun I just made. I'm so sorry. I wish sorry. I was an earless um, right now. Hey, hey. Well, the alcohol sort that out for you. You know, you've got you've you've got an early morning uh, load of drinking to head of you. Yeah, I suspect. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I will. I don't know when ultimately you might be listening to this podcast, uh, uh, dear listener, not referring to the show, of course, Uh, but it is currently actually Easter Friday at the moment over here in the United Kingdom, early as it is, and yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that currently things are a bit crappy all over the world, what's going on, like, you know, I'm not going to pretend that we live in a bubble, Um, but what I will mention is this, just that hopefully, you know, you've enjoyed your time with us, and I hope it's, you know, brought you some joy in this uh, troubled time that we're currently going through. Uh, otherwise, uh, do take care of yourselves. If you are listening to this while it is still Easter 2020, make the best of it however you can. Enjoy your time with your family and friends who you live with. Uh, stay safe. Stay the fuck at home unless you have to go out, for God's sake. Um, you know, I don't mean to sound harsh by saying that, but just please. I just would please for you to do that. But otherwise, have a great time. Look after yourselves. We'll get through all this. Uh, we will return next week on Second Stream for Yesterday Episode 2. Uh, But until that time, 
as always, folks, embrace everyone to the ends of the universe. And a very good morning, not good night. Ha <laughs> ha! Bring back the brothers. Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be.